0: Ship it <laughs> We're going to ship a game.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Steve Gainer, and you're listening to Tone Control: Conversations with Video Game Developers. Uh, and the video game developer of the day is Bruce Straley, uh, formerly of Naughty Dog, uh, game director on The Last of Us, co-director of Uncharted Four, and uh, with a long storied career leading up to that. How you doing, Bruce? Hey, Steve, how are you, man? <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> good to have you here. I'm um, I'm back in Los Angeles. Uh, this time for the Game Awards, uh, and uh, I appreciate you coming over to record a thing with me. Thanks man, I'm glad you're here. And are you nominated? I don't know if Tacoma, is
0: Tacoma in there? No.
1: I, I, I booked the tickets before I knew whether we were nominated. And well, it should in. be. So yeah, well, Thank okay. you very much. It, uh, for narrative, for sure.
0: I think you guys did a great job. Well, thank you. By the way, congratulations on Tacoma. I'll yeah. start with that for sure. Yeah, I like yeah. the game a lot. Thank you. I think you did some really novel things as far as like storytelling, using the AR and sort of the recording stuff and following through and using that as how you move through the space as well as picking sure. pieces of the story. I thought yeah. you did a great job. So awesome. Really cool. inventive you guys should
1: get rewarded (laughs) well i just did by your compliments oh (laughs) (laughs) thank you Bruce. uh no i I really appreciate it yeah um yeah i mean and, and it means a lot coming from you having worked on games that are so well known for their story and how they tell story and and the characterization of uh you know the 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 whole world of you know the the games that you worked on as well as the actual like individual characters in those games and how they came across so um, no I really appreciate it, it. Um, it's a different
0: beast I mean we are it's a very it's, it's a different very different beast, for sure kind of yeah, thing yeah. for sure but I can definitely respect where you guys are you know with the constraints that you have etc of your smaller team mm-hmm. the evolution from Gone Home to Tacoma is I think it's a it's a beautiful sort of evolution that you guys are taking these steps that also, I don't know, I don't have an indie company or anything, but I can only assume that you're thinking about scope and scale yeah. and budget and how, oh, yeah. you know, et cetera. So I I thought it was really novel and inventive what you
1: guys do. Well, um, yeah, like. I mean, Tacoma is, as far as being a small indie studio, is like, it's one of the things that until we started working on it, we didn't realize how, the biggest thing was how interconnected everything in the game was, like production-wise, you mm-hmm. know, because it's like... We laid out the spaces and then I wrote the scenes to the space and then <clears throat> we had to record that and all the different parts of the big AR scenes had to like line up timing wise and then we could start animating the mm-hmm. entire game mm-hmm. once we had all of the actual final audio timing and everything. And then if you want to like move something in the environment, you know, if you want to make a hallway shorter, yeah. it's like, well there's already an animation there, are we going to move that? You know, it's like everything talks to everything. Yeah. Um, And so that was something that was kind of crazy to encounter, like aside from just the enormous amount of animation work that our animator Noel did on like all those Wait, scenes. all that's all that's hand animated? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Yeah, there's no mocap or anything.
0: Wow, yeah. that's really fucking impressive. That's yeah. really yeah. amazing animations. Good weight to the characters. Good motion. Good everything about it. I I thought for sure that was one of those things you spent a little budget on to get some mocap.
1: No, I mean, and part of it is that like the there's a couple aspects to it. So one is every animation was directly tied to the environment. So sure. like. There's stuff that we could have gotten from mocap, but mm-hmm. like a lot of it would be like unless we built the station out of like plywood and had people like walking touch, down touch the hall, yeah, like yeah, right. then I think that like a lot. Well, I've never I've never run mocap on a project, so right. I assume it would be a challenge to make some of the mocap useful, considering how space like specific all of the entire uh, thing was. And then the other thing is the characters were so simplified. You know they're basically like stick figures, effectively. That I think it would be hard to direct actors to have an appropriate amount of like pantomime in their performance mm-hmm. without it feeling very broad, mm-hmm. nor being so subtle that you can't really mm-hmm. track the the gestures mm-hmm. with the characters we're using. So yeah, our animator Noel. Um, did it all from from video reference and just animated it out. Yeah, that's she's, impressive. She's fucking good, good. job, Noel. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, thank you for taking the time to play it. Yeah, uh, I appreciate it. Um, but we're here to talk about you, Bruce. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, me. I'm important. <laughs> You're telling me. Um, <laughs>
0: By the way, thank you for, like, I'm out of the business right now, so I feel kind of, like, validated. Like, like, oh, wait, somebody remembers me. (laughs) I'm somebody still. I mean,
1: a game that you were the co-director of came out, like... What, less than a year ago or so? Or maybe a little yeah, more than a, a year, year ago. Now, day, yeah. right? sure. It's not that long.
0: <laughs> I played the, I don't know, um, the games industry moves so quick, man. That's true. You're
1: obsolete fast. I that mean, is that is
0: true. I mean, hey, all of us are gonna die eventually and become obsolete, so <laughs> I'm just getting used to it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's a good way of looking at I'm glad that the games industry is helping you kind of face mortality in a healthy way.
0: <laughs> I gotta say, it actually is. That's yeah. a real thing. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean there's a there's a certain amount of letting go you know I've I had 18 years of uh amazing 18 years in that company where um you know it becomes I don't realize did not realize that it was such a part of my identity you know but it's such a rhythm of my life it's such like it occupies my brain and it's so many different levels from you know what you're in production and the vision of the you know the story and the characters and trying to make mechanics Uh, you know you're in the shower thinking about it and then suddenly all that's gone right and yeah it's like you don't a have to think it anymore a, a, but <laughs> suddenly a, but a part of me is removed and then you're left with this void of like okay now who am i what what does this mean and i didn't realize after all the years that your ego just as a human your ego gets attached to these creations that we're putting out in the world and not in a way that's like like look at me i'm fucking amazing and i'm you know it's just simply like you're attached to like your house when you walk into your house it's a familiar environment and somehow your ego gets attached to status slash where you are in the world slash other people and you can't help but compare and contrast these things and you get invested and I think that having that removed has been like kind of a healthy realization to go like oh right I'm not Naughty Dog and I am not my job and I am not and so then you have to dig in a little go like okay who am I right
1: what is important yeah yeah no, it's. I mean, especially like you were saying, after being there, you know, almost twenty years. That's a long time to it's spend around time. like a, a certain group of people and like focusing on a certain kind of work and mm. all that stuff. Mm. For mm. sure, that's like a huge, that's a huge shift. Like you, you were you were at Naughty Dog for the same amount of time it takes for someone to be born <laughs> and then graduate high school. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> like, Steve. But, I mean, like, that's, A, that's an amazing run in the games industry, like, not very many people are in any, not a lot of studios are around for that long, much less, you know, people being at them. Um, But also just for a perspective thing, it's like, that's that's legitimately a huge part of your your life. Like, you know, certainly no shame in having to like kind of process what it means to, you know, be in a different space. Right. Yeah,
0: for sure. And it speaks a lot about Naughty Dog. I think that it was a, it's been a great company. They've been great to me. I learned so much and I have so many friends there and I, I grew so much in that, you know, 18 years, of course, I am going to grow. You can't help it. You're going to be faced with so many things yeah, And I've moved in so many positions over the course of that 18 years that each time, and that's the beauty of this industry, not only does technology change, but if you have the opportunity to change positions and sort of challenge yourself to take on new things, then yeah. it, it stimulates everything in your career slash life and keeps you invested. Naughty Dog's always been supportive of that, so it's yeah. been
1: cool. So was Naughty Dog your first job in the industry?
0: No, I've been in the industry 26 years. Okay. I started in 91. Uh, I came out of, like, one of those pay-to-play oh, right. art oh. schools. What?
1: You mentioned you worked on the X-Men game for Genesis. Okay, oh, yeah, 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 That oh was the first. God.
0: Well, the first, we didn't ship the game, but the very first game I worked on, the company I worked for was this ex-Mattel guy who saw that video games were, like, really taking off. The yeah. Genesis just came out, and he was like, I don't want to make some money doing that. Like, I think he was... a Associated with the Teddy Ruxpin, you know. Okay. Yeah. You put the tape yeah, in the back, and so yeah, yeah. <coughs> and then creepy Bear talks to the TV, with so. Uh, and he just looked at video games as toys, and he got the license for Robosaurus, which okay. was in like truck rallies and like smash 'em up derbies oh, and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. As like an intermission, they would have this like two-story tall steel T-Rex come out. Yeah. All like pneumatically driven with like. um nitro fucking chargers in the nose so it like blows blows flames. Right. And it, it takes like with the with the amount of weight that this thing it must have taken like ten minutes. We had footage of this thing that we were looking at for reference for the jaw to reach down to like a car and then another like two minutes for the jaw to like clamp the car. And then another seven epic minutes to like pull the car up and shoot flames out of its nostril, And we're like, we're gonna make a video game out of this and it's gonna and I think there were like the premise was aliens invaded L.A. Okay, and Robosaurus Have was going to gonna save it. it. Yeah. yeah, so because
1: they moved very slowly, was
0: and that, that was that was my <laughs> first foray into video games in um, 1991, and it just didn't go anywhere. We couldn't make any. I didn't understand what design was. I didn't know even like how to work with like, you know, you had uh, sprites and and bit mapping and yeah. sort of, you know you had limited palettes. Right. Like I, so I didn't know at, any of that stuff at that so. time.
1: What what was how did you get involved with that? Like, what was your position on that? You, you were doing art? Yeah. So I came
0: from an art institute in Florida, okay. uh, just cause my mom kind of forced me to go to school cause my <laughs> brother and sister dropped out. She was like, you're going, I don't care what you do or where you go. Like you're going to school. Huh. So the only thing I could do was draw. So I, I went to one of these art institutes and I got a degree in advertising design, which okay. is not really a degree at all. <laughs> like, and I thank God I didn't up, end up in that industry. But we learned deluxe paint and deluxe animation there. Like, they mm. just—it was on the tail end. Really, I think that I'm in the first generation of like from analog to digital transitions in like the workplace. Okay. And it was like hot shit that you could wrap text around a picture, okay. like for magazine layouts yeah. and things like yeah, that. Because yeah, it yeah. used to all be like letter set and laid out with like crosshairs and like multiple uh, layers for, for color processing and stuff. Right. And,
1: and, uh, and then the 90s happened and it, they were like, we're going to make oh my text God. in all these fonts and well, works like yeah, down. Every
0: font possible, <laughs> we're going to make a squiggle, we're going to make a wrap around every <laughs> image we can. It's going to be amazing. Nobody's going to be able to read anything. <laughs> And that's what I came out to L.A. to do, and I I just swore, you know, you're from Florida, I'm from Florida. I like to say Florida is a lovely place to leave. (laughs) Uh, I left Florida um, just with with like an action movie with a ball of flames behind (laughs) me walking out like a badass. And And the ball of flames was the weather in Florida (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like and and the flames were just mosquitoes right right? and they were really
1: wet it was just like damp hot yeah yeah, you're like all right yeah I'm I'm running in slow-mo away from that for sure yeah
0: my brother still lives there and I go and it's kind of nostalgic to go back it's kind of it's kind of funny but it's like man Florida that was you know I you know of course Florida sorry about the asides in the (laughs) podcast but it's like You know, it's the hottest place on the planet and it's wet and damp, you walk out of your front door and you're just like sweating instantly. And of course, this is the perfect opportunity for me to become like the gothiest, most goth metal (laughs) industrial, like pastiest white. Like I stayed inside, drew my hair out, everything was black. no,
1: Florida mean, is just this, like, layer of contradictions, like... Oh, there's a lot of goth in Florida. Yeah. Like Marilyn Manson comes from Florida. Yeah, that's like, right. I used to
0: hang out, not hang out with him, but I used to see him all the shows I used to go really? to down oh, in Miami. He so was funny. there with Twiggy, and the lunchboxes
1: <laughs> at the time, that was like a cool thing to carry around in a lunchbox. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so you went from so, hanging out with Marilyn Manson in Florida to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so
0: I was, I learned the computer program, and my buddy came back from California, like, basically with this, like, a, the recycler was from L.A., and you'd look in the back, and it was, like, all these bands playing, and it was just, it felt like heaven, and it was like, I gotta get out of here, I'm going to L.A. Yeah. So I came out, and uh, couldn't find a job, you know, wrapping text around pictures, so... Um, <laughs> And I looked in the paper, this is the day of papers, it wasn't internet, it wasn't Craigslist, it yeah. wasn't any monster, anything like that. There weren't, certainly weren't schools for video games. And um, I looked in the one ads, and in the computer section was this just, yeah, I, it's like glowing off of the page. Big bold text was like, video game artist wanted. Huh. And I, it, I, it, I, my jaw dropped. I didn't even know that people made video games. Like it was right. one of those like, video games just came from heaven. Like right. I don't know where video games come from. They like, come people from make the video game things? store, right? From the video <laughs> game gods, like whoever they are, and I worship them. And that's you know, um, so I, I went in with my best Walmart kind of etiquette. I put my ponytail back, you know, my hair back on ponytail. I <laughs> wore like a button-down shirt. Yeah. And I walked in to ask for the manager like at, the, <laughs> at this development house and, and um, the lady kind of laughed at me and she thought I was very cute and my naivety and she grabbed my resume. By the time I got home, there was a message on the voicemail yeah. that set up an interview the next day. I went in for that and this dude, this programmer was showing me Sonic the Hedgehog. On and I hadn't seen Sonic. I had, I'd been out of the home console thing for a while. I was like skateboarding and like industrial goth music and shit. Right. And um I was too busy being cool, Steve.
1: <laughs> I mean it sounds very much like it. <laughs> and, what's what's cooler than a goth skater in yeah, Florida? I mean, come on.
0: Man, pasty. <laughs> and um like I can only skate at like two in the morning. That's the only you can't get in the sun. No. So anyway. For gosh sakes. So then um LA the perfect place for you. <laughs> It's not Sunny here. There's a ton of there's a ton of <laughs> stories here. But anyway, yeah. It's um so then I, uh, I, w- I looked at Sonic the Hedgehog as he's playing it and he's just like real casual. So you think you could do this? I had no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> like, what do you... Like, can yeah. You go go fast? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm looking at the graphics, and they're all just, like, these chunky... Like, there's, like, what, three colors. There's, like, a light tan, a, a dark beige-brown, and, like, green. And then this blue guy who's just, like, impatiently t- tapping his foot, like, right. looking at me angrily. And I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> like, I knew the programs from college. Like, I could, I could make... Color palettes, like rotating gradient scales, and I can, you know, it was like I, there were no limitations at the time. Yeah, like, from college. Right. And I, I'm looking at the screen, going like, I can make it like a thousand times better than that. Yeah. And then once you know, I got home and on my answer machine, I guess the confidence that I had, the naive confidence. He called me back and he was just like, "You got the job," and that was the start of it. L- little did I know, once I started making a game, it was going to. The limitations were right. hell. I didn't have any colors. The colors were like steps of seven over a two fifty six palette. Like you right. only had fourteen colors within an eight <laughs> pixel block.
1: Like there was all these limitations that I was just like, "Why?" Yeah. Well, that, that's the point where. When you first see it, you're like, I could do way better than that. And then you start working on it, you're like, I see why it's like that.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What's the Carl Sagan thing from Cosmos? It's like, if you want to create an apple pie, you first have to create the universe. That's video game development. It is. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, okay, so you were you were working on Robo Saurus game for yeah. a little bit of time yeah that got that, canceled okay and
0: that, then so yeah. he got the license through his connections with like Marvel and Mattel et cetera, and oh, right, right cuz Mattel like was making probably like X-Men action figures right, and, and stuff. exactly so he had connections and and so he landed the X-Men deal and this was with Sega at the time. Sega came down, and we're working directly with them. I think they had the license for it. So I don't know how he did it, but he got it. And there weren't a lot of developers at the time. This is '91, so. Right. Um, and uh, so I started working on that, and I started. I, I teamed up with these two artists, designers, um, Steve and Mira Ross, and um, they really kind of showed me the ropes of like. How to work within the limitations, what design actually meant, and there was this guy Ed Nunziata, who was the producer, who went on to make like Echo the Dolphin. Okay, um, yeah, and uh, they were they were really my mentors. I. I I was blown away by what they were capable of doing, like I, I, I worked just enough on RoboSource to realize like this was really hard and I didn't quite understand the limitations. Yeah. yet. And these people kind of showed me the ropes just by looking at their work and what, looking at their animations and finding out like all the stuff I'd read about and worked on animation in school. Now I could see, like you know, within two frames how to make something impactful, or within seven frames, you know, right. like how to make a walk cycle out of four frames, you yeah, know, but yeah. still looks like asymmetrical and the like, feet don't align, so you can actually see that there's progress, like yeah. the walk cycle, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And so, uh, X Men was just a kind of a beautiful experience. Was well, my first time understanding kind of how games were made and how. Um, you know, we had the, the famous like reset button, the sort of meta, you know, you're in the danger room, the X-Men are all locked inside of like Magneto hacked into the danger room. And like what you think as the player is reality, turns out not to be reality, you're trapped and he's going to like basically keep you guys trapped in there while he does like devious things in the universe. Right. And then you as the player, fourth wall shit. Have to hit reset on the console, yeah, because it's a soft boot. So we could we could see that it's a soft boot and reset the the program and basically cascade the code and say like, oh, you reset it, we can trigger it into the next phase. And then we
1: we got the X Men out of the yeah. danger room and yeah. save the world. I mean, it's, it's a famous sequence because yeah, the text that comes up on screen is like, reset the computer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and like it is that meta thing of it's sort of like. Uh, you know, like having to use, switch controllers in Metal Gear Solid or whatever, where it's yeah, like right. you have to think outside of the digital space and into what the actual equipment is. And yeah, that was like, I, I, I think it's very memorable to a lot of people today. And it was very, you know, kind of like unprecedented at that time. And I played um, the shit out of that game when I when it came out. Like I was a I was a Super Nintendo kid, but. Uh, my best friend in school was a Genesis kid, so we played that X-Men game. I I, I had to reset the computer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I I don't know what your feeling was, but I remember the sensation of like, actually kind of playing through it myself, and then having to reset it, and feeling sort of like, am I about to lose my game? Am I gonna lose my game? What's gonna happen with this thing? Am I, and and that's kind of stuck with me as far as like all this, not all this stuff, but in moments and trying to achieve the moments, there's like those special moments that stick out for me, in games I've played and so those are ones that I also like I guess maybe the the birth of a few philosophies like that started early in my career that I've kinda hung on to. Yeah. you know.
1: So you so you were you were an art you you were an art first or like mostly art guy for a lot of your career, right? Uh,
0: Well, early in the X-Men days, it's like you kind of had to do everything. There were programmers and there were artists and there really weren't designers because artists were designers. I see, okay. And then from X-Men, I I formed a company with a couple guys that I worked um, on X-Men with. And um, we made kind of an X-Men clone because we couldn't get the X-Men 2 license. Because the guy from Mattel, the the guy who ran Western Technologies who got the X-Men license was just like, wait. You're going to take my breadwinner away from yeah, me? Yeah, right, right. No you're not. <laughs> you little snot-nosed punks. Like, <laughs> yeah. no you're not. <laughs> and so we went off and made like another game and um it was kind of like it was the same thing, kind of platformer, side scroller, uh action X-Men clone. Okay. And um Forget what you just asked me. That made me fast forward. Oh, oh right. art. Right. So, yeah. So that was the same thing. Like we were, we were a team of three making yeah. that game and it was two programmers and me. So I had to do art and design. Okay. So it really, what was that game? Did that get released? Yeah. The company was actually successful for a while. It was in the black. We made all the money back. It was called Generations Lost. Okay. It's a story about a, a generation ship up in space, which is supposed to like, you know, earth is basically like defunct, like we ruined it. So we're now in the generations classic, like, like Asimov or some sort of like sci-fi story where you're like traveling the universe, trying to get, it's going to take several generations to get to an habitable planet. Yeah. And then over over the course of like generation four or five, people forgot that they're even, that's the world that they know. Right. This is the identity you, you wake up and that's your reality. And they forget that there is systems to be taken care of, and so the ship starts to fall apart, and then mm-hmm. there's infighting on the ship, almost like civil wars break out, et cetera. Because yeah. people forget the overarching goal, which is just like, oh, right, we killed the last planet. Right. How do we not kill ourselves in this generation ship so we can inhabit a new planet and start, yeah. and they didn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> Spoiler.
1: <laughs> but that game came out, and... Um, what, was it also a Genesis game? It was a Genesis game, huh. and... Uh, I, like, I, I don't think I've... I don't think I've heard of it, no offense, but it sounds no, really interesting. No offense, Dick, and I would actually be surprised if you did. I have a pretty good I have a pretty good catalog knowledge for this stuff, but I don't think I've heard a generation. I mean, it, the reason I say that is because it sounds like an interesting enough, like unique enough game that, I, that, that I'm was, surprised I haven't heard of
0: it. I learned a lot on that game because yeah. it was it was the first time that I didn't have the guidance of Ed from Sega and Steve and Mira. So I was trying to take the things I had learned from them yeah. and we're trying to run a company. We ended up with like seven employees at the time. Doom had just come out like when, like on PCs. And, you know, we're trying to make this game, and we're just, I'm 22 years old at the time, and I didn't know anything about running a company. I thought it was Jim Morrison. (laughs) You know, video games weren't cool, but they, they, they were cool, but I wasn't, I was torn between this world, and we were playing Doom all the time. Yep. Every day and I mean it got to the point that we had to create a rule in the office of like you're like you're not allowed to play Doom during work hours yep. <laughs> and you know you're in the middle of the it's like two in the afternoon or something and then if you remember the load screen as soon as you started up Doom it had that shotgun blast yeah and you'd hear like somebody for, would forget to turn their speakers off. And you're working on some animation and then you hear <laughs> and you'd go like, oh shit, somebody's on. And rather than like going like, you know, shaking, wagging the finger, like you're not supposed to be playing, you're like, let me log on. And then we'd go for like five hours on like a, an MP deathmatch. Yeah, uh, LAN
1: gaming. Yeah, and yeah. it was
0: it was a it was a blast. But it, somehow we shipped the game and um, it it got the money back for the publisher they were willing to do it again but at 22 to 24 or five years old I was just too much for me i didn't quite understand um how to run a company and i didn't quite get along with the people i started the company with okay you know just yeah. infighting simple sure. as that yeah uh, personalities and um again my jim morrison Want to be lifestyle didn't quite like gel with a couple yeah. of programmers down, and I didn't want to go. They wanted to form the company in Orange County, and I didn't. There's like little things like that that are like still stick with me as far as decisions, like where do you want to live, what kind of lifestyle do you want to have, and yeah. like I didn't know how to say no at the time. So it was just like sure. the opportunity of starting a new company and do X Men Two, which right. was the proposal, right, right. was just too good to be true. Yeah, and then it ended up uh, we ended up disbanding the company and. Um, I left, uh, traveled around for a little bit and left the industry. I went to, um, Europe for the first time, went out of the country for the first time. And, you know, I just kind of like processed what I had just gone through Yeah. and, uh, I could have stayed in Europe. And then I came back and, um, somehow I ended up in San Francisco and a buddy I had met ran into somebody who went to a party that ran into somebody who worked at Crystal Dynamics. Okay. Yeah. And he was like, Oh, you make video games. Oh, I got this guy is like, no, I can hook you up with this guy. And, um, that got me an interview at Crystal Dynamics and that got me, um, a job working on Gex two. Nice. With Evan Wells. And a bunch of other awesome dudes. Like the the Yeah, Danny Chan was there. Adrian Longlin was there. Like there's these programmers that I just like thought were amazing people. Yeah. Good, heartfelt people that really were passionate about games and spoke about games. Like I hadn't been around people speaking about games in that way that felt like there's an art to it, and there's a craft to it, yeah. and there's a way to get to emotions and feelings and things that are bigger than just kind of movies and books, etc. It has yeah. its own dimension and that was um, I think a start on kind of a whole new journey of my experience with game
1: development huh. that's cool so so you came on uh, so what like what year would that have been? Uh,
0: let's see, so I left, I left my company, it was called Pacific Softscape, and, um,
1: bad. That's a good, Bad. no, it's a good name. It's like soft, you know, anything like software, so <laughs> yeah. it's like, we're trying. Softscape, softscape is amazing. I haven't heard of a softscape before, you came up with a new word. Uh, and, um. <coughs> Trademark thank, quality. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it, I love it.
0: And, um. Welcome to Pacific Softscape. Pacific Softscape. Uh anyway. So <laughs>
1: well the, the, the classic license plate up in uh Oregon if you get like the like whatever the the, the classic style one, the tagline it is Pacific Wonderland.
0: Pacific Wonderland. But
1: I want it to just say Pacific SoftScape. On every, <laughs> on every the logo was a was a wave. So, because
0: I was into surfing at the time, Mm -hmm, so it was mm -hmm. like, I'm trying to still be cool and I'm making video games. Um, But I named the company Pacific Softscape.
1: (laughs) 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 Trying so hard. So, you ended up at Crystal Dynamics, what, in like the late 90s, I guess? Sounds like? Uh, yeah,
0: so so I left in '95, Pacific Softscape. I I tooled around for a bit, um, and then I ended up at uh, up in San Francisco around '96, '97. Okay, so I was
1: probably '96. So was Gex Two still a two D game? No, okay. it, that was their first foray into three D. Okay. So did you have to learn a lot, like on the job, about what is making a three D game mean? I mean, everybody yeah. pretty much, I think, in nineteen ninety seven, yeah, was figuring it out as they went. Right. Yeah, but,
0: well Mario 64 came out in blue doors, right? Yeah. It was like what the hell is this? Yeah. And um I mean, well that wasn't even until 98, wasn't it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But there was th- when when did the PS1 come out? Cuz like that they, was like jumping flash it like and all like that. There was Right, so there were 3D games. So there games. was 3D stuff, oh, right. yeah.
1: But it's but it was like
0: and Doom was like, already on on PC. There's definitely a movement in 3D right. at the
1: time. But, well, but I mean, Quake came out in '97, and that was the first like id game that was full 3D. Right. You know? So like you were very much on the front line of like your examples that you had were like I don't know, yeah, Bushido Blade. And, yeah. And, oh, Bushido Blade! What know, a great the Quake demo and stuff. What
0: a great right? game! Yeah. Uh, I actually wonder sometimes about that game if it still holds up because there was something about that like the lethality of it Mm -hmm. That one hit kill aspect and really the timing and figuring out like trying to like read your opponent There's a certain
1: there's a certain Mm. There's this thing that happens in games that uh, That I really appreciate which is you know every once in a while somebody will be like remember that game Right there hasn't been one of those forever. It's fucking cool and like I'm pretty convinced that if somebody just straight up made a new bushido blade with that exact like design sensibility to it that it would be a huge yeah like i think it's what people want now like yeah, yeah. in 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 the po- in a post dark souls mm. world mm-hmm. you know in a in a pubg mm-hmm. world where like you get sniped from the other side of the map with no warning and that's right. what's exciting and fun about it like bushido blade i think is set for a comeback.
0: For yeah, sure. for sure. It's like the Ghost of Tsushima, the Sucker Punch game, is like if they have like a lethal mode or something that's just like one hit kill mode, yeah. or some sort of, you know, that would be fun. Yeah,
1: Bushido Blade was amazing. Yeah, like the, the whole... Anyway, we could go on about Bushido Blade, but just like... How you could act honorably or not in a fight, and uh, it was you know, like you could kick sand at your opponent, but yeah. it was dishonorable, and you could like throw your sword, but now you don't have your sword if you miss. Like it's just. Was and crazy. I
0: remember the the background also had this subtlety, which is like if I recall, there's like a, a level where it's just like cherry blossoms kind of floating in the background. It's just yeah. like they're just dropping from the tree, and it was just this quiet. Again, like it wasn't this epic. You know,
1: very action, small. yeah It was a like quiet I, I, kind of I feel feeling. like when you were actually in a match I feel like the way I remember it Is that there wasn't even any music Or yeah, maybe it was, but feeling. it was like yeah, that's, subtle you know? I don't
0: remember either, but I want to remember it that way <laughs>
1: Like all that you All I remember hearing is just like The footsteps in sand yeah. And you know, like the the motion of the blades Swinging around, like it was so Sorry, so we're in downtown LA Somebody uh, needed to honk At a, at a passing car Um but yeah, it, it just had that subtlety and that, like, um, uh, uh, understated. Yeah, understated is it. a good way to put yeah, it. I think that's really valuable.
0: Yeah, um, it's interesting. I I want to now look at a YouTube video of Bushido Blade and see if we're right about any of our, if our memory serves us at all. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: in a lot of ways, what's more important is, is... Like, if you the were going away, to make a yeah, yeah, Bushido Blade, that's you would what want it away, to be sure. the thing that you remember. But, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but you were, okay, so you were, three. You, you guys were really sort of, like, how does anyone do 3D, yeah. including Crystal and Andy?
0: Yeah, it was fascinating because, you know, cameras became important. Like, what, right. is, a, what is a camera? And how do you move a camera? And um, how do you operate with, you know... T- and at the time, there weren't analog sticks either. So yeah. there was... Um, and then... Y- 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 yeah, it was just It's like kind of the- like VR now, where everything yeah. is experimentation. Like, right. just trying to figure out how the camera should work in a 3D space is like... You're trying a bunch of different things, from fixed cameras, stick cameras, follow cameras, butt cameras, like you know, right. and and then and then trying to solve puzzles and stuff in 3D space, and it, it's it's fun and engaging at the same time. I, I was really excited by it, not a, not daunted at all. I think it was just because the team they already had some software. I forget the software they are using, but like, um, was it? Oh, I forget it 's like I see the software in my head and i don 't know the name of it, but I just remember building everything was blocks, yeah yeah you yeah. know, and then you could create objects to go into the world, like these actors, and you could put animations on them, and I just loved every minute of it, like understanding how to create foreground objects, how to create collision, how to create animations how to, and that was the time where um, the industry was still small enough, and it was your we didn't have to specialize yet. Right. And I really, again, from my background of being artist slash designer slash, you know, vision creator, whatever the thing is, and working on a higher level, I really enjoyed kind of owning my levels and really pushing myself to figure out like, okay, I got animation, I have color cycling, I have, you know, the 3D space, I have the camera, like I have all these tools and like really playing with, how to put all these pieces together to make interesting gameplay was i think gex 2
1: i learned a ton yeah, about for yeah, yeah. for for design and art for sure did you uh, so i'm going to th- this weekend while i'm here in la i'm also going to be talking to richard laymerson Oh, cool. uh, did did you work with him on yeah, that yeah yeah that's where i met richard I thought so yeah he was, he's an ex crystal dynamics that's right he he, on, he he was on
0: he was on gex 2 i believe i know i know for sure we he did he did some levels. I don't remember which ones though. The okay. memory doesn't serve. Like, uh, but no, Richard was great. He also came from. You'll hear it from him. But yeah. he had a cool little two D game that he came out with before he got into the whole three D world. Okay.
1: But yeah, for, for for listener reference, since Richard's uh, interview will be after this one, uh, Richard Leigh was also a designer at Naughty Dog on the Uncharted series. Um, yeah, he was the
0: it. he was my co lead with Neil on Uncharted Two when I was game director for that. Cool. Yeah.
1: Um, Can you confirm or deny a piece of uh, industry lore that I've heard told to me, which is that in the 3D engine that Crystal Dynamics... Like, it was a a proprietary engine, right? Like, it was an in-house engine. Yeah. In that engine... in any engine that you that you work in, you have like units of measurement, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, to like a meter or like an Unreal, it's like an Unreal unit, which you know maybe it equates to something in the real world, but you don't know. Um, Somebody told me that the unit of measurement in the Crystal Dynamics 3D engine was a Gexel, which was the height <laughs> of one Gex. Uh, and and that, that and the thing that was amazing about that was, I heard this from somebody, uh, from Zach McClendon, who was my lead on Bioshock 2, and he had worked at Crystal Dynamics before huh. working at 2K Marin, and he had worked on like Tomb Raider Anniversary and uh-huh. stuff, and that Project was made in an ex- on an extension of the like no X3D wow. engine, wow. and so like Laura Croft was like two and two, a half gexels tall. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I'm I'm just jealous of people who got to who got to think about the word gexel every day in, in their life for, for a reason aside from being obsessed with the idea because it's hilarious, like I am. <laughs>
0: Maybe it's legacy post gex because we didn't. It was it was I think it was a meter. It was a okay. meter. And I think Gex was one meter. Okay. So uh, yeah, it was, it, it, it was it, at least the same size as one. Gex. But it became a Gexel, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, well, and so so what was it like? You know, shipping. Uh, was that a PlayStation One game? Yeah. Yeah. What was it like shipping a, a PS One game? You know, like I I I feel very fortunate to have gotten into game development. At a time when stuff like cert could all be done digitally, right? But like you guys were living in that world where you were like, "Time to mail a burned CD to Sony Japan or whatever," right? Mm-hmm. Like, what you know? What do you remember about actually getting a project out the door? Crystal had
0: a QA department, so yeah. it was uh, so we had a relationship with those guys downstairs. Um, which is just hilarious. That's the days of like where QA is just a bunch of burnouts. Like you know, <laughs> it wasn't like now. It's oh, kind yeah, of like, I started like, in QA. I know. I
1: know the it's feel. An <laughs> it's an
0: inroad. It's an inroad now to get into the industry. Like you know, and it happened at Naughty Dog a lot that you know we would build relationships with these people, and you could see like you know they're hungry and they want to try things, and they you know they're inspired, and and this is their way into something greater. And but at that time, it was like. These guys didn't have a care in the world right. or any reason to like you know, clear, clearly they did they did their job. Yeah. And I and I really appreciated what they were doing, but they were a bunch of burnouts.
1: <laughs> and they were my friends, quite honestly, at the yeah. time. It was fun. But um No, when I started in QA it was totally a mix of people who were like, I love games, like me, and then people are like, I love getting paid twelve dollars an hour to right. sit here and <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> not have to like work at a construction site or something. Yeah, it's it's true. And so like, yeah, there's, it was definitely an interesting mix of people who were, who were drawn to that work when I was in CERT QA. But like, yeah, there's some stories, like there's like, there was a guy who got fired because he, he figured out a system briefly, which was, yeah, he came in and he sat down and he like put his hoodie up. And he put, So I was a cert tester on PS2 games. So he put like the DualShock controller in his lap and he put a rubber band around the thumbsticks so that they (laughs) pointed towards each other. So if you looked at his screen, it just looked like he was (laughs) doing something something. because like the camera was
2: spinning around.
1: (laughs) I think he lasted a little while, just like sleeping with the, you know, and, and then somebody was like, dude, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> and he had to go find some different contract job. But uh, anyway, yeah, QA, <laughs> yeah. QA lore.
0: <laughs> that is it. Uh, I think I was I was smoking weed at that time, and I don't anymore. But it was like that was the era where the, all my dealers were basically you know, coming out of QA. So yep. that was that was that era. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, the, I mean, shipping that game was great. Again, um, it was really about this group of people that. Um, it was a real bonding experience, uh, Evan Wells was just kind of, I don't know, he had this unabashed love for anything Mario and anything um, Miyamoto. And Gex, you know, as a platformer and kind of coming around when the um, Mario 64 was out, It was just amazing to see, like, not everything had to be original. Not everything had to be, like, this genius inspiration from the gods and, you know, and, and that... Um, you know i was I was wrestling with it for a little bit, like it 's just like wait all he 's doing is ripping off miyamoto and i 'm like, yeah, but you 're learning so much in the process, and then you 're kind of nobody truly rips off anything because just by the nature of trying to copy a van Gogh painting you 're going to create your own style it 's going to be with your hand, and it 's going to have yeah. your own sort of touch to it, and then you 're going to learn a ton um, and seeing like they did weird things there was this guy Dan Airy and Evan, who used to wear headsets with microphones on them that had there were like radio headsets yeah and they would be driving on the road together in separate cars talking to each other and I, you know they'd walk into the office like you know five minutes away from each other still talking to each other And i just thought they were insane <laughs> but i thought it was cool at the same time that there's these nerds just kind of like making these games and talking about games and living games and we stayed up it was mario kart 64 came out and we stayed up all night, yeah. all night, that yeah. first night, just playing and switching around, and, and I think we were high. I've never seen Evan with like larger eyes and more buzzed out, and he's just like, oh my god, this is the most amazing game I've ever played, like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there, there's all the debates about like the old, like the SNES version versus this version, which one's better at all? And I right. was just like, I was not a Nintendo kid, my friend had a Nintendo, I didn't have one, so yeah. I didn't have that kind of legacy. So it kind of opened my mind to a different way of game development and a lifestyle around games that was... um, I mean, uh, again, like each kind of step in my career, it's like I'm having these little takeaways that I don't really realize are like sticking with me. But Evan and I built a bond at that point and a relationship and Danny Chan... And I went on to game direct or start game directing Gex 3 and Evan and Danny went down to LA came down here to Mm -hmm. work at Naughty Dog Mm -hmm. Because there was a couple other Crystal people that came down like they actually there was a joke going around at Naughty Dog early on that is called Crystal South (laughs) Because there was like Stephen White, Dan Airy, Evan Wells, Danny Chan Like there was a there was a out of a team of like 11 people like almost half of the staff was from Crystal Yeah, yeah And um I ended up you know not really enjoying Gex three, and I ended up missing those guys and I really missed Danny Chan who's one of those programmers that would just like he 's the one who set the paradigm for me about um, you you put it in the game as quickly as possible and just so we can play test it yeah. so we can get it on the screen so we can get it on the sticks and so we can start moving around and seeing how or what comes out of that and um, again I in a world prior to that, most programmers came from an EE, like an electronic engineering. Like they were oh, okay. more like circuit board dudes and like ultra nerds and yeah. um, people that like shell out exact change at lunch <laughs> when you go you know like those
1: guys. Okay, yeah.
0: And um, and so the mentality shifted once I got up to Crystal and meeting Danny and Adrian and seeing how they worked and how. Um, open they were to iterating and the concept of iterating to find something was like really the first time in my life that it was like and we had play tests and we kind of we got information that was like oh I can see well the play test was really QA but still we got information about how something was working and um, again this is all knowledge that prior to that it just didn't exist in the industry at least not my experience in the industry Um, so I kind of took tho- that information with me. I didn't want to work on GEX three, and things in San Francisco just got a little hairy. And it <laughs> yeah, was like, well, that was during
1: like the first dot com boom, right? I don't know if it was. I guess like, I, it was getting there, like uh, the the late '90s, early two thousands. Was the whole like I just lived, lived a, a, a life
0: of like just like work was my god i yeah. just stayed in the office and i i woke up early and i got to the office and i just like worked my ass off and my i was a real workaholic at that time yeah and um crystal is I, what in the south bay yeah it's down in menlo park okay and um so then i came down i followed evan i, I i'd come down and we go to disney or something like that together and we just hang out and you know i'd hit him up i met jason rubin i think he broke my hand when like <laughs> shaking my hand time. <laughs> You know, um, but what Naughty Dog was doing at the time, Crash 1 came out while we were working on Gex 2 and it, it was in 3D but it had all, like it, it was a spline camera, it was a fixed view, you couldn't move, move it around. So what they got away with doing, they were smart in working within the constraints to make it look super lush and right. super amazing at the time. Um, kind of mind blowing and we were just kind of baffled by it. It was yeah. a hard game, but like aesthetically it was mind blowing. So when Evan and those guys went down, I was like, dude, you got me, you got to get me in here. Like, yeah. can I get in here? And well, he put well, in I, the good word and yeah. somehow it
1: worked out. Yeah. You, you ended up there. That was 99, yeah. Yeah. 99. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so funny to me to, or I mean, you know, it's all perspective, but like, you know, you, you've You've been in the industry since you know I was in middle school or whatever, right? So like when, Thanks, when sorry, when I, but when I was growing up, like you know, my main memory of Crash Bandicoot was playing it on the PS One demo station at Target. Wow. Yeah, sure, yeah, 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 <laughs> and and it's so you know, so for me, I'm like, that's just what games is, you know, like I, uh-huh. and and it's so interesting. Like I remember I've seen I think video, like you know, VHS. You know, like video put up on YouTube of the guys at id Software, like while they were working on Doom playing, like, Super Mario World and just being like, Oh, look at what they're doing! Right. Oh, yeah. it's, the right. scrolling is so smooth! You know, they're, like, they're just yeah. like, the tech and what they're doing Geeking with out. the tech... Yeah. They're just like, was so mind-blowing to them because they knew what they were trying to put on screen, and they knew what it took to put that... And I'm sure it's a similar thing where, you know, I think back and I'm like, Crash Bandicoot, is an orange guy in board shorts, I don't know, right? But, like, if you're trying to do that at the time, you can see, like, oh, what they're doing with the camera. It's Mm. so, you know, Mm. oh, we should do that. Or, you know, like, how did they make that happen? Yeah, Uh, Because you're thinking of the aesthetics and the accomplishment not just for their own sake from the outside, but for, like... The, what what it takes to make that thing be what you're seeing and, and well, we're, we're also
0: applies, working you know. in a in a mascot based game right and they're a mascot based game so so there's a lot of crossovers between them and they're in 3d but then they're using 3d in a different way so there were so many things that we were relating to but at the same time you know see i agree there's this respect and admiration of just like oh you can see the choices and you can and then you're me personally I'm starting to formulate so I, I start seeing at the meta level of what game design is and how to work within the limitations of technology and that's just like game like the art of game design right. and creating games is like understanding the limitations and using the most that you can out right. of it so
1: it, yeah and it's something that I feel like is interestingly different now than it was in the 90s or in the early 2000s where like now I think anyone can kind of look at an uncharted game mm. and just be kind of blown away by the you know, like oh my god it looks you know it looks so real or you know look at the crazy vista or you know how amazing that character's animation looks or whatever and i think it's a different level of appreciation when the technology was much more rudimentary mm-hmm. to like uh, yeah appreciate like look at everything they do- like this is like if i show my dad uncharted mm-hmm. he could be like Wow that looks incredible, right? but right. like, if you were to show your dad you know crash bandicoot, it's probably a lot more like he would be like, "Oh, it looks like you're playing a cartoon I don't know you know like, right but
0: but oh, it's a video game,
1: but the, what a toy that you're playing right with her, yeah. but but the 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 craft of it and the like accomplishment of it was there mm-hmm. it's just like there's something interesting about I think how much more perspective it took to really. Grasp what was impressive about uh, what was going on on screen at that time compared to now where you can just be like It looks like a movie, <laughs> you know, of course. Yeah. That's impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah Well, that's why Mario 64 when it came out just you know blew everybody's brains like melted melted skulls because like you know um I remember making this level. It's like cartoon world like Gex is jumping to different TVs and different switching Mm. for different programs And that's basically our like our story conceit for being able to just create like snow level lava level Right. This one was cartoon level and so it gave me license as a designer to sort of make crazy You know squishy trees that when you jump on them, they bounce you up or whatever that thing is But I got so ambitious And this is kind of like the story of like my solo decision-making for a long time in my career. uh, And I had to learn the hard way, but it's like I I made all these assets. I made this great level. I thought it was a really, really playable and awesome level. But the problem was like frame rate was like seven frames a second or something like that. And I think we were just trying to hit, I think, 15. I don't even know if we were trying for... 30 maybe where we were I can't recall but yeah. at any rate it was sh- it was shit frame rate that I right. and so then um, and so my solution rather than having to like reduce poly count and find out like where the clog is and the bottleneck in, in, in rendering or whatever the thing is is it computations or whatever instead of that I just put the draw distance in so far like we could just like not draw things in the distance and i pulled it in so far that you can't see more than like 10 feet in front of you. so you have no there's no weenies or landmarks or anything to yeah. sort of like orientate the world because it disappears either before you or behind you it's like one of those like really horrible decisions for something that was like i thought was such a great level and you know evan nobody at the time said like dude you need to figure out something better. And and, um, but those are just lessons learned that I look back and like with regret, but it's like beautiful at the same time. And yeah. so when I look at like crash and like, they have kind of a vista and then you see how like they're undulating the terrain, the, to, to create occlusion and sort of dropping in and out things based on, uh, frustums and, th- you know, it's just yeah. like, well, wow, that's really smart. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, you, you, you went from crystal to uh naughty dog. What was your first day at naughty dog? Like, <laughs>
0: Uh, Jesus! They were like the the most intimidating day, probably of my life. I mean, Jason is a beast. <laughs> Andy is a freak. Um, everybody around me was just the best. That I'd ever been around. Again, yeah. Like I found, I found people who <laughs> I was inspired by at Crystal, and I followed them down. Well, I, I didn't realize that they had been inspired by the people at Naughty Dog already. So now I'm surrounded by people who are all the best at what they're doing, or at least they're striving to be. And they're pushing each other to be. And that was the environment of like this collaborative sort of... I wouldn't say competitive, but it was kind of a beautiful thing that you, you really felt kind of in the intimidation or fear, this necessity to sort of prove yourself. And from me and coming from my background, like, it didn't matter that I owned my own company, it didn't matter that I made X-Men, it didn't, none of that mattered, it's like, how am I contributing right now? Um, I had to learn new software with Power Animator and Model and that. And, um, You know, it's like the the three mouse... I I use, by the way, to this day. I still have the Power Animator mouse, the Silicon Graphics mouse, and that keyboard because I got (laughs) so used to the sound of the keyboard, the feel, the layout of the keys, and it's just like I kind of built my rhythm of how to model and how to work in in software programs around that. So, people come over to my computer and they're like, where's your scroll wheel? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yeah, that first day was... um, I mean, it was it's was beautiful in that. For one, I'd always worked at Crystal Dynamics. Uh, I had a pod, a little cubicle of my own, and I could shut sort of the door. Or this little Chinese sort of whatever, this, this like a this, screen, yeah, like a screen door kind of thing and a Japanese door. And then okay. um, uh, and I would just like tweak out on what I was doing. And at Naughty Dog, like everything was at like hip level and open environment sort of space. My desk specifically was in alignment with Jason Rubin's desk. So like he <laughs> could look from his office, the only person he could see through the door was me. <laughs> and uh, I happened to be right right around the corner from the bathroom as well. So then you'd see Andy come out and he would have this like, you know, Andy's this kind of genius guy who's just got way too much on his mind <laughs> at once, you know, came out of MIT and mm-hmm. it was like, you know, and, and, um, he would be in this, like the network would slow down and Justin, which is in the back sort of to the left. And then the bathroom is to the right. And you can see that Andy's deliberating, but he's like, he's literally freaking out of like making the decision to pee or go work on the network, slow down. Like and he would just sit there and pause and, and I would just watch this. I'm like, what, what kind of odd dimension have I been teleported into? But I loved it. And I love these people. And, um, it also felt, I was the 15th employee, and it felt like I was capable of kind of, if I wanted to do animation, it was really like, nobody said like, oh, you got hired to do textures. Like, right. you better keep just doing textures. It's like, oh, if you want to model, like model. And matter of fact, it would help if you modeled, because yeah. then you could put the textures on the model. Yeah. And then like, if you want to animate, here, just here's how, and Rob Titus, this dude who came out of like CalArts or somewhere like that, he was an animator, and he was from Disney background, et cetera. And he'd show me stuff, so I learned animation from somebody who I really felt like understood, like squash and stretch, anticipate follow through, all these yeah. kind of classic things. And and yeah, I thought it was it was just, I think, a huge like level up of my growth, my personal sort of, like I really committed to um, growing. Like my whole mentality shifted was just like, how can I be a worker among workers? How can I just show up? And like, all these people are better than me. How can I learn from them and be be a part of this team and how do i help what can i do to help them uh and get this game out yeah and make it the best i can and that was a i think that shift then developed my whole mentality for really the remainder of my career up to today that's my mentality is like how can i service the idea how can i service the 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 team is and that really started from like the kind of the first month or so working at Naughty Dog.
1: Cool. I mean, that sounds like a, I mean, that sounds like the kind of outlook that, you know, leads to good places, you know? I mean, because if you're, if you're somebody that's helping everybody else, then everybody else wants to work with you, you know, like, like you, you build good relationships with people. I think you probably also then. Have to understand other people's work more, yeah. so that you can yeah. be useful, and like that's a great thing to actually like be able to have some you know perspective on what other people are doing and, and yeah. know what they need, not just like I'm doing my stuff. I got to do my stuff. What do I need to do my stuff? You know, that's
0: exactly right. I felt very self-sustaining, kind of like on an island at Crystal Dynamics, and when I came to Naughty Dog. Like even working with Rob and learning animation or modeling in a new program and having to like ask questions. And the, all, again, all these people around me, I thought were like way better than me. Yeah. And having that humility to ask questions and say, how can I help and n- not be somebody special on the team um, gave me sort of the empathy and the respect that they deserved. Like they, it allowed me to see like, oh... All of these other disciplines are really hard and like we can't take them for granted or any of these jobs for granted because every single specialty, every single person here is like a badass, a master at what they're doing. And um, it, I just kind of sat in awe and I just tried to like present myself in a way that was just like, you know, how can I be a part of this team? So that was good.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's great that, um, you know, if, if you felt like you moved into, an environment where basically like you know you had this example to kind of like build yourself up towards you know like something to to aspire to or strive for like you know to kind of like be on the same level as all the people around you and that's like a great that's a great place to be i think as far as just like encouraging growth naturally yeah it's like oh Oh okay. I, I gotta I gotta be on, on par with everybody else here that's just doing amazing stuff every day.
0: They were a bunch of perfectionists and I think that uh I'm a perfectionist and I think that like like being around people who were relentless on trying to find like the better version of whatever we were doing. Yeah. Whether it be the animations, whether it be sort of like how the camera moved or whatever those things are that I really felt like uh being surrounded by people who are just challenging themselves to be better, it's contagious. It's a yeah. beautiful kind of environment to be around. Yeah, and Jason kind of really spearheaded that, Jason and Andy, but really Jason, because um, he like, held these kind of uncanny standards of like what he wanted to do. It's his company, right. it's his product, product, it was he and Andy's, but it's like, he was really that driving force as far as the vision and getting kind of the quality bar out. Andy yeah. certainly, like, you wouldn't have the amazing programmers at Naughty Dog if it weren't for Andy as well. So, but the two of them were um, really at the, at the front of the ship going like,
2: go, yeah. you know, so that was
0: good. <laughs> it was good to have them as leaders. Yeah. What, uh,
1: what was the first project you worked on there?
0: Crash Team Racing. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so that
1: uh, Mario Kart 64 yeah. competitive research really came in handy <laughs> again.
0: Evan Wells was just like, well, you know, I don't know how the, exactly the idea came out because I was, I was, Danny Chan had written some some uh, some tech to allow for like some new kind of mit mapping, so mm-hmm. that when you're looking at the camera like really flat down on like a racetrack or something, that it it doesn't get all the aliasing and um, okay. kind of the raster graphic crap that you know crunchies yeah and um and they were just doing some initial prototypes on it when i got in they had sort of some carts running around and um uh i didn't really other than just playing in mario kart like you know with evan and i saw where evan was going with it and to me again it was just like how do i just make my levels really awesome how do i you know I ended up doing like with Rob like the title sequence just mm. because nobody else was available, <laughs> and like that's cool. it was just really fun that like, kind it of was stuff a fun, was fun. yeah like,
1: yeah doing like a, a, a wacky like
0: instantly title I went sequences. from texturing to like animating and laying out tracks and like doing stuff that was like, oh cool like yeah i, I was I was really in, engaged with that project and um. um yeah, and that that game shipped, and um, then we had, if I recall correctly, is it? We started working on Jack and Daxter before it was Jack and Daxter. And we're oh, trying okay. to We're trying to figure out what the character was, and at the time, you know, Crash was a huge hit. and I can only imagine being in Jason's head and trying to figure out like we just had this massive success.
2: Yeah.
0: How do we follow it up? Yeah. We had a vote. Everybody was burnt out in the team, and and Jason, to his credit, was like ask the team, like, do we want to make another Crash Bandicoot? And, you know, Universal owned the license. There was kind of like a rigmarole around the business with him that I Mm -hmm. think he was also balancing that I had no privy to. But I I think that he was trying to figure out, like, where to go next. And everybody was like, we're done with Crash. We're like, we're so done. We want to do something more. The technology was starting to move on. Uh, We felt like we ran Crash to the ground. Like, you can't do anything more with that character unless you start him talking or something. And it's just like, what do you do?
1: Yeah. How many Crash? like mainline crash titles were there two for naughty
0: dog it was three and and crash team racing so four total okay uh and the team took a vote and jason listened and uh we started on what ended up becoming jack and daxter yeah excuse me (laughs) it's all good what ended up becoming jack and daxter
1: (laughs) (laughs) what were the so that was the first naughty dog like, IP that you were there for the conception of? Yeah. What was the, like, what were the pillars? Like, what was the the driving kind of, like, stuff that you guys wanted to do with a new IP to either differentiate or just stuff that you wanted to, like, accomplish with it that you're like, this is why we're doing this idea or whatever?
0: Well, for a while, I mean, luckily that uh, Jason and Andy had a good relationship with Sony because of the success of Crash. And so they had early dev kits, and they they moved some of the programmers and with Mark Cerny off in this like little closet. Basically, um, it wasn't a big office. We were down on the Third Street Promenade, and it wasn't really space. Literally, it was a closet. And there's four programmers with all these like overheating machines, and it was just like an <laughs> oven. And those guys were working on the what would later become the PS2 sort of Jack and Daxter tech. Okay. Um, and the concept was, you know, with um, uh, just m- more, right? That what can we do? Uh, and it became from, again, Crash. My experience was, was, was Gex and being able to have like a fluid camera and moving around like player control. But then when I got to um, Naughty Dog, it we didn't have camera control. So for them, it was an evolution to say like, if we want to do kind of Mario-esque something big 3D and pushed into sort of an exploratory world, what does that mean? And the concept was really rooted in um, the technology had the ability to render out these like vast worlds. So that included lotting and, and uh, creating a tech that based on how you laid the textures out on the ground, you sort of set up a grid that would later become sort of the MIP of, or the lot of the geometry, like a okay. dynamic um, level of detail. and. Um, And that tech allowed us to make sort of not quite open world, but Jack and Dexter became sort of this foray into this sort of opening up the world, definitely coming from uh, from Crash Bandicoot. Right. It was like a
1: huge change.
0: Yeah. So that was one of the things is a sense of adventure and and opening up. It's more like
1: more like Mario 64 levels or right. something where it's like an open, yeah, yeah. Structure, right? self-contained level you would go to.
0: Well, even then, you could cross from, unlike Mario, which had sort of, you, you go to the hub world and you yeah. go not jump into like a star or something or whatever the thing, the, the pictures, right? Yeah. You jump into the pictures and then you load into a world. Uh, this was a contiguous okay. adventure. I see. So that was the big thing. Streaming, level of detail, and sort of scope and really going for that sense yeah. of adventure. Okay. Uh, that being said, we had no clue what the character was gonna be or no clue what the controls were gonna be um and so there was a design there was like a ton of stuff and again i'm I'm mainly on the art animation sort of texturing sort of you know side of things and at the time we had more or less a design department of like Evan and Dan Airy, and I believe at that time we might have hired on um Yas at the time. Um, Yas worked on the level layouts for Sonic mm-hmm. the Hedgehog. Okay. And so he's Japanese dude, comes over with um, this amazing sort of background and sort of character layout, but he was also like getting into 3D yeah. at the
1: time. That's so interesting. I feel like... I feel Yasuhara. Like I, okay. Yasuhara-san. I feel like there's almost... I feel like there's very little kind of like game developer migration from Japan to America, uh, you know, aside from like on like the, the publishing or platform side, you know, like I'm sure yeah. there's Japanese people that come over to like Sony America on the hardware, right. you know, but like, I feel like, I mean, I don't feel like there's a lot of migration in either direction, mm-hmm. like not a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. but it feels even more rare for like a Japanese game developer to come over and be part of an American... Company like for you guys, and again, I'm I'm
0: more trying to just kind of play my role in, in the team and just like make the best art I can. Uh, so I don't know, I'm not privy to all the decisions that were in Jason's head, but I know that Evan, Evan was a huge fan. I know Dan was a huge fan. Uh, clearly, Sonic, and he's got the reputation. Yeah. So, so, so you
1: had you, you knew what you were doing with kind of the shape of the game, like the the contiguous world and all the tech that that required. So did, so did that pretty much drive like. What, what's the story, what's the setting, who are the characters, you know, what are you actually doing oh, as a starting point?
0: Yeah, memory is vague for sure, it's so yeah, long yeah. ago, but but I remember, like, we created a whole... Well, one, one of the things that came up at the time was, like, there was a tech called prototyping, because memory, we had memory constraints, we're trying to create something open, and so the idea of having a prototype and then instancing it in the world was, like, new stuff that had to create new sort of, like, basically, Kind of the tech that's being used right now at Naughty Dog is the same tech that we really created at the beginning of Jack.
1: That's what I mean, when you were describing it, that's what it sounded like to me. You know? I like, mean
0: there's been huge overhauls with all of them. but the, right. b- the basic evolution I mean, started
1: yeah. there. You were describing effectively an uncharted structure yeah. of the yeah. game when you were saying all the stuff about, you know, like LODing stuff at distance and having yeah. streaming so you could have a contiguous progression through the world and all that stuff. And, I mean there are a lot of you know cinematic breaks and stuff like that and like location changes in Uncharted well, so it's not Jack
0: a was the first one swirl, yeah like, where where Crash used to go back to the hub world and then you'd see like little snippets of a story or whatever but Jack was the first one that had like in world cutscenes. right yeah. that's the first time that Naughty Dog also had characters that would Talk to each other and and sort of had kind of character arcs and all this kind of the storytelling actually started sort of evolving at Naughty Dog at the inception of Jack. Yeah, but it was a I remember there was a struggle at the beginning of trying to find the look of the character that um, Bob Raffy and Jason and other people like like Rob et cetera people would who was it Bob Zimbalis Robert Zimbalis did the character design for Crash Bandicoot, and so Bob had become kind of the in de facto art director at over the Crash franchise, and he's taken Zimbilis's class, and he's working on character design and trying to figure out what Jack is going to look like.
1: Yeah, uh, there was he definitely. Turned, the, he turned out looking awesome. The concept was—he's <laughs> like, a very early 2000s guy. he has he's got, he's so... got, got some sweet like goggles that he never actually. Oh wears. my god! On his forehead. All the tropes are there, man. Like
0: a dangly thing from his. Pelvic, like oh, all yeah. these things that it's, it's really this mishmash blend of sort of like, you know, Japanese games were big at the time. So yeah. like there's this Japanese influence and then there's this American influence by Bob and Jason's, of course, taste. And um, it's this real weird hybrid. Like it's not one or the other. It's, yeah. Jack is kind of in between that plus like 2000. Right. That's, it's totally
1: that. And um... Cause he's not even technically like just a normal dude, right? He's some kind of like creature dude? He's like an alien of some nature? Jack and Daxter's world I don't even fully... I can't even tell you what that world is. <laughs> Cause, Cause they're not humans, sort of but they're... A, a, an
0: he's an Otzel. He's an Otzel, right? right? See, right, um, so yeah, I know
1: this because I was a certification QA tester on the the, the Daxter solo game for the PSP. <laughs> uh, so I know that he's an Otzel. Daxter's Otzel Adventures. I know you guys didn't make that one, that was like uh, Sony Bend or whatever.
0: Uh, the- I guess there were a couple, there's Daxter from Ready at Dawn when they were doing handheld yeah. stuff. Like oh, maybe it was that,
1: maybe it was that, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, yeah, no, there was a lot of struggling there and trying to struggle, struggle to find like what quote-unquote open world or more open layouts meant right. and what contiguous worlds meant. So there's a ton of experimentation as well as trying to figure out the tech. Uh, we landed on then the the, and I think that if I uh, I'll I'll speak for Evan and Dan but I'm pretty sure that one of the main concepts was this concept of like a a sidekick character. Right, That was just like what they wanted, something Mario didn't necessarily have Uh, they knew that more storytelling could happen and that was the era where you know there's this concept that we've evolved out of but that you project into the character so the character can't talk but it's a third-person game, so, you know, again, Crash never really had an arc or never never had a will in what he was doing. He just, There was a bad guy, Cortex, You just had to jump on some turtles' backs and figure out how to beat Cortex. Right. Now you actually have a story with like an antagonist and sort of a world, and, and Jack had a will, but then we were still trying to hang on to these old ideas of like, no, no, the player the, the player needs to project into that avatar, and so that avatar can't speak. They can't have a will of their own, they can't be forceful. Because we—it's the player. Player is that character, right? And of course, you play Jack One now, and you're just like, why doesn't he talk? It's so weird. He's yeah. this mute weirdo. Just like. And Daxter doesn't talk. And, da- and that's the reason for <laughs> Daxter is like he could be he could be the one espousing all of the, um, you know, the backstory and the exposition and, and all reacting to the
1: environment and all right. that kind of stuff. Does that mean so I didn't. I didn't. I didn't play Jack and Daxter games. Uh, Good for you. I mean, sorry. Don't (laughs) don't be. I. I. I I was a big PS2 guy, but I was never.
0: I never. I was never
1: a Mario 64 guy. I was never like a mascot. Yeah, there's. I think there's factions of people.
0: Like it depends on. Like I came from platformers, and so I just am in platformer third person. And and, like people came from like PC like first person games is like their first. uh, There's these factions of kind of like gamer mentalities that I feel it's like whatever you were raised with is just kind of like kind of your mindset going forward
1: so I do kind of have a a blind spot because I don't have experience with jack and daxter or ratchet and clank or sly cooper or you know yeah the the mario games from that era um but does that mean that um jack started talking in jack 2 yeah oh
0: like like he got aggro in jack 2 because that was the other thing is like Jack didn't quite sell as well as. I mean, it was a great game. I like Jack and Dexter. Um, it had some bad tropey things. The whole collector, like you had to collect things in the world. And but as far as like, uh, I thought the art was great. I thought, um, you know, the overarching story was great. There was a bunch of things that I really, I'm proud of that game mm-hmm. and proud yeah. of what the team did. And Naughty Dog really grew at that point as a team. Um, we threw away so much work I remember at some point when we actually moved into production proper we had an entire mountain sort of layout with a cave inside and a meadow and a lake and all this kind of stuff and like and all of it was just like just throw it away yeah and everybody's just dejected just like are you kidding and Jason did this great thing It's just like we know what we're doing now we learned a lot from that experiment and you know you'll be able to take your knowledge of the pipeline and sort of the building techniques etc and apply them faster than what you could before and yeah. we're like you're right and yeah, yeah. so design came online finally and with yas doing paper maps yeah. we cranked out jack one and, uh, and then it didn't quite do as well as Jason had hoped. I'm, again, putting words in his mouth, but yeah. again, looking at Crash's success, I can only imagine that he was a bit worried, and looking at the field at the time, you know, everything was like, GTA 3 just came out, right. Tony Hawk Pro Skaters, like, hitting Big, like, all these kind of, like, adolescent, sort of American aggro games. Well, and, like, real world, the, real you world. Know, like- right whatever and yeah. so Jack too suddenly became a little grayer yeah Jack got this gruff voice like suddenly he's
1: talking he's not just talking he's like talking yeah it's a, a little bit of the uh, Prince of Persia right of Sands of Time what was the I don't forget what the subtitle of the sequel was but it was the one that like got like puddle of mud on the soundtrack or whatever <laughs> it was you know where it was like now the prince is pissed yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that's yeah. exactly right um, I, remember, I remember that. I remember those years. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, and I think, I think it was between Jack 1 and Jack 2 that uh, Jason and Andy sold the company to Sony. Okay. Uh, so they created the franchise. They, they they got that up and running. I remember we went on sort of a getaway trip. We went on like a snowboarding retreat. I'm mm. pretty sure it was between 1 and 2 and not between Team Racing and 1. I'm pretty okay. sure. And... Um, and uh he, they broke the news that you know they sold it they're going to stick around for the next um till jack three is out the door like they were going to get three titles out and then um hopefully mentor leadership on the way so that when they leave that there's other people that are already capable and that was um evan wells and stephen white and that became more and more Jason started stepping down and giving Evan a longer leash over the course of Jack 2 and Jack 3 mm. um, and Evan started becoming really the head of the company and kind of the, the voice of you know production and, okay. and the, the vision at the same time and I think he was Stressed out over like how to do this and he talking with Jason again Just putting words in people's mouth, but it's like how do you do all of these things at once? How can you have the vision for the game the design for the game and run a company and as the company's growing? We're getting bigger and bigger. We're about between we grew from something like um, Maybe 20 people at crash team racing to sort of 40 45 after jack one to somewhere around like 60 65 around jack So we're growing pretty quickly and it's a burden I'm sure for Evan so that's where Amy gets hired uh, to take over as a director position I see
1: and so Amy Hennig who would end up being the director of the first uh, Uncharted games, that's right. She was uh, doing game direction on on the later Jack and Daxter games. It
0: was Jack Three, I believe, okay. that um, she had levels and certain mechanics, kind of that she was adding to the mix and kind of getting uh, her feet wet in the Naughty Dog kind of, you know, the culture and the, yeah. the attitude that we yeah. have there of how we make games and stuff. So that was Jack Three. I mean, for me, it, it, Jack 2 really became kind of. I was starting to get more in design. I was starting to lay out more levels um, in Jack 1. And uh, I found that the technology was starting to get a little too complex. And Naughty Dog is very much about like you have to jump through five hoops, you know. To get it in the game, yeah, um, it's a it's a very specific pipeline to Naughty Dog and Naughty Dog's engines, the tools we're, we've never been, they've never been like really big on making things really easy right. for the pipeline.
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of things when you're in when you have a tech and you're like, it works. Yeah, like, exactly. It's a lot to say. What well, if we made it work differently? Maybe it would be better. It's like, well, but. Everybody already knows how to do it this way.
0: Not only yeah. that, it's also that takes time away from somebody who could be programming something in the game. Yeah, And that was really Naughty Dog's priority is like whatever it takes to get the game done then. So if it's tools and we can, at least it works, then we'll do that. Yeah. And um, why was I talking about tools? Um, I think you were talking about... Oh, right. So yeah. things got too, it, it, it just got too unwieldy. Uh, Naughty Dog is very specific about making the best games and the best art and the you know, it's really like we're platform sellers. I right. could say we, it's not we anymore. <laughs> they are platform, at the right. time we yeah. were platform sellers. You're, and you're so in that
1: mindset of... Um, I'm at Naughty Dog right now, yeah. mentally, yeah. so... Yeah. yeah, no, it's all good. At
0: any rate, um, so it, we really didn't make things easy for the pipeline or for tools. We just hired people that were smart and capable. But what that meant is, like, it was hard to get things in frame rate sometimes. I mean, we squeeze every, like, all the blood out of the turnip, you yeah. know? And, um, and that means that specialization kind of had to take hold at Naughty Dog. And that was where, for me, I had to back away from being able to do animation, design, art, textures. Like, I couldn't do all that anymore. And from Jack 1 to Jack 2, I started having to sort of focus more on um, mainly art and then some design, like yeah, I was taking over some level layouts or working with the designers. Well, I mean, I,
1: I assume also some of it is like you're going forward from PS1 to PS2 to then soon, you know, you'd, you'd be doing projects on the PlayStation 3 and it's like, so there's so many, like regardless of what your tech pipeline is, there's a lot more that has to go into every asset. When right. you're on a higher exactly. fidelity platform. Yes, exactly you know? right. like, um, so, so you were dealing with that too. You're right. like, I can't really do modeling and texturing and animation for this fidelity of character yeah. and have any other job. Yeah. Maybe not even those <laughs> maybe you only have one or two of those jobs, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah,
0: you're exactly right. And and on top of it the tools, on top of it, like just the the quality that we're trying to hit, the quality bar. And yeah. so so I had to between one and two, I had to really let go of a lot of things. Uh, And then I started getting more involved in design on 2, but more as an artist, not actually an actual designer. And again, I had Evan's blessings because he'd worked with me before. He knew what I was capable of doing. And um, so I think uh, Jack 2 was really the... I, I had played I think Eco had already come out on the PlayStation One. Sure. Uh,
1: uh it was a, it was an early PS2 title. Was it a PS2 It, it, it had started as a PS1 title. Oh right. Yeah.
0: Standard
1: <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh uh Yeah, F- to uh, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh but anyway, but it, it, it was a very early. It was like a first year of the PlayStation 2, I and think.
0: That uh, game blew my mind. Yeah. That game, so there were a lot of games that blew my mind, but that game, more than anything, really, like, um, I saw something as far as how design and core mechanics should work with storytelling. Right. And, and playing that game was, to me, a whole philosophical shift of like how games should be made. Um, and here we are making a game that has a character and has these things. But w- what we were doing in Jack 2 was like the kitchen sink concept of design. It was, um, you know, in in one sequence, I remember uh, playing through an area that Daxter had to climb onto a missile to save something, and then you had to navigate the missile sort of over like a lake, but then you're, I think, avoiding these eight different things or whatever. It was like some setup where you've never played a missile before, so you don't know what the controls are. It's under a timed pressure situation, uh, which you're gonna blow up. It's a hard, it's a hard death to reset that yeah. sequence. And, um, and I, I must have t- died 15 times just trying to understand the controls. Yeah. And then after getting the controls, I died another like fifteen times, uh, just trying to make it through like the maze and yeah. the network of, yeah. uh, uh, and and then looking at Eco and like, you know, you have these very very specific um, pared down mechanics where it's like I have these gates. At first, I don't have anybody with me or any power to open the gate. Um, I know based on the story, like my main impetus is just to get off of this island and here's this gate. So problem solution ordering, I find this frail girl in a cage and I have a cut scene that all it says is like, I'm going to get you out of there. And I'm like, yeah, I want to get her. like, who wants to be in a cage? I empathize with her. Right. So I get her out and then all of a sudden I get her to this door and she opens, she has the power to open the gate. Little did I know, but now I have the key to the lock. And that opens up this sequence of events, and I have this hand-holding mechanic, and a, a reaching down and grabbing for a mechanic, and and I just saw how that evolved into just these, this, this pared-down suite of mechanics yeah. created a bond between these characters that wasn't about exposition and about jokes and laughs, and it was just so subtle and beautiful. And then uh, to the halfway point, if you recall, like you've, you've opened up the gate, And Yorda is... She's, she's, she's being zapped by the power of opening up the two large gates that opens up the bridge and you see your way out, you're going to get out and then the bridge opens up and then you have that one sort of sequence that like throws everything on its ear. All my expectations are like, clearly I'm going to take the order and we're going to get out of here. I've been doing this the whole game and all of a sudden I'm the one that's going to fall, not her. She reaches her hand out and I jump back to her and that moment where it's in my control to make that jump. And then she, everything gets subverted. All my expectations went somewhere else, and and what I thought was going to happen ended up being the opposite. And she saves me. Of course, then her mother comes, and I drop down to the bottom. But right, everything yeah. tied in in such a way that then I didn't have Yorda, but I found the sword, which then became sort of the key to the locks. Like it was just so clean. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm riding on the back of this missile as Daxter, and he's like, yelping and yelling, like, just like, ah! and, <laughs> and I was like, this isn't the way to do it. Yeah, And that was yeah. where I really started, like, formulating my, and that's where I really started stepping in design more. And just because I had a, Naughty Dog, luckily, had a flat enough structure and kind of a, a kind of homegrown mentality that anybody who had an idea could get in there and, like, Bark and yell and scream for like why it 's a better idea than the one that 's in the game, yeah, or what 's wrong with the one in the game, and so um, that kind of allowed me to sort of push for things that um, I guess I believed in more yeah. and during During Jack Three after Jack three, they were working on the combat racing, and so I, with a small team of i don 't know like five people, maybe a little bit more than that eight people were working on. What later became uncharted by working out like running mechanics and like IK stepping and just trying to figure out what this world was. Yeah, uh, well, it's funny
1: how how influential Ico specifically or Eco. I actually don't know what the preferred pronunciation is. Um, has been just I think on so many different people. Yeah, you know, like I mean your your story of it being this kind of like crystallization of. But Game design. mechanics and
0: like, story paired together to create an emotion. That's really my summary of Ego.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it, it had such um, such confidence in its simplicity, and like you said, it, it like tells the player what the player's role is mm-hmm. without saying it. You know, all those sorts of things. I mean, I know there's the whole story about how you know uh, Miyazaki, the the creator of Dark Souls, like played. Ico, and then was like, well, now I need to make games, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and like, so, That's awesome, you I know like, that story, that's a yeah, great well, story. because he, he, um, he got into game development later in his career for a, for like a, you know, in the Japanese, uh, job culture, it's like, you know, you start in a career and you just stay in it for, and he had like... I think I think the story was that he had been working in like banking software, and then he like played Ico at like his friend's house, and was like, "Oh, video games can do this." Wow. I guess I should be making these, and then wow. went, like applied it that from software and and you know go forward from there. But yeah, like you know, Ico has influenced yeah. you know what you guys have done and what you know became Dark Souls, and like I'm sure a lot of people who are like I think there are those certain games they come at the right time where you play them and you're you're like oh people can do things like this you can do something that's like artistic and understated and you know kind of like reaches some of these holy grails of sort of like the players just going to understand there's no words mm-hmm. and the players going to know what they need to do and the game's going to speak to them you know all those sorts of things like i think can ripple out into how A lot of different people think about what they do which Mm -hmm. is really cool Uh, well
0: it's interesting i think that there's some things in eco that i'd love to have more conversations around why eco motivated so many people to like change their philosophies on game design or whatever because there are cutscenes in Eco. Yeah. like there's this sense of like no no it's like this you know there are no words but there's a ton of dialogue there, there, it's just in dialogue, a foreign yeah. language it's all subtitled yeah. yeah or or in a foreign language where it's not subtitled it's, foreign, it's a bunch of squiggles right and you're like I get what she's saying but I don't know what she's saying yeah. like you know and that, that in and of itself is like really intriguing it kind of also was the impetus of a Tenzin sort of thing, like just in the back burner of sort of like, oh, having somebody that doesn't speak English, you know, in Uncharted 2 in the middle, you're with Tenzin in the ice cave, and you have this old adventure with somebody who is Nate, Nathan Drake's equal as far as capabilities, yet he doesn't speak any English, so yeah. kind of the joke's on Nate that, you know, whatever this guy <laughs> wants to do, it's just like Nathan can't argue with it. He, right. can't,
1: he can't quip his way out. Right, you know, and, that's funny, yeah. So, So that was really... Because I think that that's a huge turning point, both internally and for like you know public perception. Is that you know probably a lot of people really became aware of Naughty Dog because of Uncharted, you know, or if you had been following Naughty Dog stuff up to that point, it was a big departure, you know. Like either way, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like tell, like talk about what you remember about how Uncharted came to be and like was it, you know, a hard sell internally to, you know, say like we're doing a totally different aesthetic, a totally different kind of setting and story or I I, don't
0: I know. remember doing like there there was um you know Amy was still on uh Jack 3 while this kind of Track team, whatever, is trying to figure out, like, how to just get a bipedal character to look, you know, animate around with weight, and we were trying way too many, th- it's like the standard thing when you have too much time and too much of a philosophy, of, like, what the next technology's gonna be. Yeah. Like, we're not thinking practical, we're just thinking pie in the sky, and as far as the story in the world, there was a sense of, like, I don't know, it was another adventure game, but just kind of m- more grounded, or more of the, it was, um... It was more human like than mm-hmm. Jack and Dexter that was one of the things for sure we were going for. but the adventure world was allowing all sorts of like crazy ideas. There was a city built around this huge hole and like what's in the hole and we didn't know how to answer that it's like J.J. Abrams way of like you know he creates this mystery box of like loss and there's this like time capsule and, oh, and what happens to the front of the plane and the back of the plane and then he lets some other writers go like I don't know how it ends but you figure it out yeah and it was a little bit like that we didn't necessarily know um you know we were, Jack and Dexter was its own kind of form of storytelling but it was rooted in Naughty Dog came from kind of an animation foundation. It was, you yeah. know, um, comic and Disney and this kind of flavor to it, and so the concept of moving into something more realistic was um, controversial internally. It yeah. it really split the team. It really there was a lot of divisive conversations and. Um, it was really just trying to find, like, here's this new technology. We can get closer to these characters with the emotions that now we can see on somebody's face and animation, et cetera. We thought that that would afford more interesting sort of uh, storytelling. Um, but it was, a, it was it, until Amy got off, and Amy worked with Dan and Evan and Neil and uh, this guy Phil. There were a bunch of people in the design um, room at the time. And they really ch- like just pounded out trying to figure out what later became uncharted. But it was like it was this really difficult transition from cartoony, light-hearted, quippy sort of thing into you know guns and I mean Jack had a lot of guns, but they were like sci-fi, cartoony guns. Like you know yeah, you, could do, three, yeah, you could do a three yeah you could do a three sixty spin and shoot some like red stuff out of the gun you know some yellow stuff or some right. blue stuff out of the yeah. gun and that was that. And um, and so trying to find uh, what the hell this adventure was, like, even, even if we knew, like, there was this Indiana Jones kind of conversation going on, but then the set pieces would be, like, you know, he gets to this U-boat submarine in the middle of the jungle, and then this uh, flood happens, and you surf the U-boat down this canal in the middle of the jungle, and you're like... And, that doesn't quite work, so it's a lot of conversation about like how to ground this thing and how to find sort of the, the, the foundation that's going to make it believable right. and understandable.
1: Well, I mean, you're, you're hence the name of this podcast, you were finding the tone that you were trying to strike with it, right? Like, like, yeah. What, what is too over
0: What's the too top? What's cartoony? But, like, was, what it,
1: is, yeah. There were a
0: ton of animation tests as far as like taking a bipedal character and they were, you know, here's these animators that had hand animated everything and they were just opposed to anything mocap or anything to do with like realistic human sort of movement so all of the tests that they were doing when you know we had like some sort of alleyway test and you had this you know action dude sort of jumping up the side of uh, some pipes and some stairwells etc and everything was just like stretching the body out and swinging his legs out and follow through motion and it was just that rooted in Disney animation and it just it just didn't It wasn't working.
1: It was, yeah, it was too, it was too far, it was too pushed. It felt, yeah, I mean, I
0: I, I don't really know the words and I don't know if we had the awareness at the time, but it just didn't, for the tone that was starting to get built around the story and the world. the conversations around this everyman sort of concept it just didn't have the everyman flavor so it was more like how do you strip down all of it from even the animation et cetera, to make this guy feel more real yeah so the more squashy stretchy it became it was sort of and again these are arbitrary rules that you can argue like i mean just to fast forward neil and i had conversations around like what kind of choices to make around the aesthetic for the last of us and you know we We'd venture out in all these sort of brainstorming discussions of, you know, looking at other things. And at the time, uh, Telltale's Walking Dead hadn't come out yet. And it wasn't until we settled on like going for a realistic, a more realistic world than Uncharted even. And that yeah. coupled with mechanics and abilities and all this kind of stuff, everything was just like more realistic, more grounded for a reason. And when Telltale came out, we were like, oh, there's all these emotions I had invested in these characters, in that story. And yet it's a cartoony world. And, it, and that was to us, like, it's like, oh, well, fuck us. We don't know what we're talking about. You're, you're allowed to have cartoony things. right?" But we're doing our best as developers or creators to try to, you know, pin things in, at least move forward. And we just think, like, okay, Squash and Stretch at the time, at the beginning of pre-Uncharted, Uncharted was, like it didn't set well with us. Yeah, yeah. So we just like, and that actually got some people to say like, all right, well, if you're not going to do hand animation anymore, then I, I don't have a place. And like, there was a, there was a big upheaval. There were really? some people that left over that kind okay. of stuff. Huh? Um, Getting Uncharted One out the door to fast forward was also that like it, we took on all new tech. We threw away everything from Jack and Dexter. We were on a new piece of hardware. Yeah. We thought that it was like the rumors of the PS3. Like you know, it couldn't even get in through airports because of security breaches yeah. of like the technology that's involved could like blow up worlds. You know, right. like it's yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> and and so we're thinking like we need to hire people from the movie industry. Yeah. And they we need people who are way more specialized in computer graphics and rendering and all this and um, you had all those cores you had all those cell processors you gotta you gotta use them all <laughs> you know and so clearly the guys from movies are gonna know more than us about how to do that yeah. that was wrong thinking yeah. and that was something that really you know from and this isn't anything about those people it's just kind of the same thing about like if we talk about video game people who are like first-person PC people versus me being a platformer kind of person. It's just like the mentality of somebody coming from movies is there are producers and there's a hierarchy and there's somebody that's going to come around and approve my work. And Naughty Dog is like, fired by the seat of your pants. And if you need something done, you get out of your seat and go like, hey, how do I do this? And I need this piece of code to help me. And they're like, I'm overloaded. Or let me do that for you or whatever. But it's like, it 's really a proactive environment, and yeah. th- there were people that got hired on that weren 't used to that and um, we didn 't know what the how the level design was going to work, how the mechanics were going to work, um, finding the shooting as one of the core pillars was like one of those things that like took forever before yeah. we landed on like something that was uh, actually had some depth to it and that was really what we were looking for in these mechanics is that like you know a puzzle is a puzzle but for production like, you can't just make this puzzle game
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know there's no balance as far as the pacing there's no rhythm if it's just puzzle after puzzle yeah. and so then um, so it is bad for production puzzles are expensive because so you, yeah. you have
1: to you have to test them a lot, you have to make sure people can actually figure them out. Well in the Uncharted a, universe it's like, not like
0: it's not like portal. Too,
1: right? right, exactly. Yeah.
0: It's not like portal where it's like the puzzle is based on the core mechanics. It's it's again a puzzle is a pillar and it needs to be a special or contextual based on where you are in the adventure or where you are as far as what Nathan's trying to figure out. Yeah. So then um
1: It's more like a like like a boss fight almost you know it's like okay we need really unique gameplay programming and stuff for this one sequence of this one kind of puzzle yeah
0: that's right and um so we're looking for something that could be our meat and potatoes and uh at the time at night so Kill Switch came out that was like an influence we looked at that but but really uh, there was like a set of I don't know we had the four on four gears matches going on every night until like (laughs) 3am and uh and I, we just loved playing that game. Yeah. And so with that, and Kill Switch, and like hitting a wall on sort of lock-on aiming, and all sorts of different aiming solutions that weren't working and not fun, um, we tried we tried the the sort of like a, a, a free formula manual aim sort of controls yeah. and uh, a la gears and Kill yeah, Switch, yeah, yeah.
1: et cetera. When did the, when was the first Uncharted actually released? So two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay. Man, two thousand seven was a hell of a year. Yeah, Locking mean, Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was Portal, Bioshock. That's right. The first Mass Effect. first right. Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Uncharted. Creed. Yeah. I thought mean,
0: two thousand seven was a crazy year. Yeah, it was a good year. It uh, was a lot of really cool <laughs> stuff, and I think a lot of people were. And it was it felt fresh because a lot of people were really trying
1: to figure out what the PS
0: three could do, right. and what you know, like it was.
1: I think that was pretty exciting. So that makes sense though, because Gears was like 2005, right? Mm -hmm. It was like a 360 launch title, so it would make sense that that would be like a thing that could actually be relevant to the production of the first Uncharted.
0: Yeah, and so that gave us something that gave the players some investment. Uh, And um, the course of making that game is just like, oh man, it wasn't coming together for the longest time. Yeah, And it was really hard work. you know tools pipeline tech animation everything was just sort of like all new yeah so with new tech and new code new everything came new bugs and new problems and new you know so and then again with the personnel that we had there weren't a lot of people experienced with that sense of like oh right this is the point in the project where like all is fucked (laughs) (laughs) and you kind of realize it after shipping enough games that you realize like every game goes through this cycle where you have to shrug your shoulders and go like I hope we'll find it yeah. you know and you just kind of <laughs> keep plugging away at the list of to do in front of you yeah and a lot of those people were just like ah, this isn't movies i can i can you know have somebody come boy with a clipboard and tell me what to do tomorrow and, yeah. you know so they left yeah a lot of people left and um it was scary it really felt there was a sense of dread in the studio of like uh this guys might be the end of Naughty Dog.
1: Wow, yeah. It was scary. Yeah. Um, it was just like you bit off this whole new thing and you... I
0: mean, I think you it's kind we of We bit like, off too many things. Right. I mean, we tried too many... It's like we didn't hang on to anything from the previous generation or the previous console, or previous lessons or anything. We just yeah. went full bore. Like, how do we make everything new? Yeah.
1: Well, and, then, and that's got to be a version of the phenomenon you were just talking about. But like you know, writ large on like one more level of sort of like you were seeing the game when none of it was working and it was also all new. So you were, and so like, you were doubly like, wait, does this actually dude, pan out? Does this turn into oh, a Oh, and on top all, of you know? it,
0: production was so bad because we had tools, we had a tools programmer that had never worked in video games before. And again, back to the sort of the Danny Chans of, in some other programmers, it's like, you know, you get it in with duct tape and spit and you sort of iterate on it and you yeah. see what's working and yeah. you hang on to that and then you solidify it. This tools guy had like, he was thinking way too bigger than, you know, sure. so it was this very complex wanting to track everything and you could set build on a level and it was a GUI made for it. We do not even use GUIs anymore. We threw that all that away, but it was like at the time it was trying to create something that was more user friendly. Yeah. But what it did is it would clog the system so badly that it would take like an hour and a half two hours sometimes overnight just to get a build of the level which yeah. is like not the naughty dog way of doing not any production fuck like, uh, yeah. you like yeah you even, need to get yeah. a quick iteration you need to get it in the game quick and you need to look at it immediately so you can figure out what's working and what's not yeah. and this was not happening in that production yeah. so I mean,
1: sometimes even if you hit hit play on you know a level you're working on and it takes you know three minutes to load up you're like well I'm not paying attention to this anymore. I'm going to have right. to get back. You know, like any,
0: I got something else to do. I got a million other things to yeah. do and, so, and you're like, burning you know, time.
1: You put a couple hours in front of, I just put in this change and now I need to test it. Like there's a lot of opportunity to even lose what you were testing. You're, you're like, yeah. why was I looking at this again? Right. And then you're just like, oh no. <laughs>
0: well again, we're so overwhelmed by so many problems in front of us that that three minutes is like you said, like that's crucial time. Yeah. And this is really the art of development, anyway. Like any tools programmers out there, it's just like just know that it's about like quick. get yeah. the, that's the, and the good tools programmers are like on that. Like anything that ever goes wrong, or anything that they can do to accelerate the build process is yeah. like, those guys are fucking geniuses, and I love them forever yeah. for doing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're under the underrated heroes of production are people who get quick turnaround times and get their level up and running quick. Yeah. And like, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: It, it enables everybody else.
0: But these are all things again it's like we knew at some point but forgot and had to relearn over the course of uncharted one we got the game out and i remember going to an awards show where we were nominated for like six different things and that was my first time like i attended it with evan and Kristoff, and that was my first time ever sort of attending one of those things it was like kind of special and cool and like oh neat um and i Fucking Assassin's Creed and Bioshock, man. Like, every award that we could have won. And I, I went in thinking, like, it doesn't matter. And by the time I left, going like, oh, it matters. <laughs> like, I was, I was, because I thought that we, there were a, there was like a collective core that, in a way, through, through the course of Uncharted 1, it solidified a core team yeah. that survived, you know, yeah. this trial by fire. And there was some sense of like, man, I wish that we all got more respect for what we did than what we got. And I'm not about awards and accolades and all that stuff, and I never have been, but there was something about I wanted the team, I wanted to feel some sense of recognition for the effort we put in. Because we all kill ourselves, you kill we all in this industry kill ourselves. And just to be nominated for something, as much as we like to say, like, ah, it's not about that. It's still an appreciative thing to go like, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice that we we're being respected for the effort. Yeah. And, um
1: Well, now you know how I feel. Sorry, Cause, Steve. Because uh, like the year i came award. out, you you guys released uh, Last of Us. So like I <laughs> every every award that we were up for, aside from best debut, that entire year Last of Us was also up for it. <laughs> And I got to I got to see you guys be like best story, best story, best story. I'm like that's cool. That's the the. Totally deserved. <laughs> uh, when when we went up and, uh, and and when when we were accepting the the best debut award at the BAFTAs, um, I know you guys were there too. And I just remember, uh, yeah, I was like, I want to thank you know people who supported us and our friends and our families, and I want to thank Naughty Dog for having released other games before The Last of Us, so they couldn't be in this category. <laughs> so, so I know the feeling. <laughs> Uh, but, like, did that, did that you know, drive you guys to, I don't know, did that affect how you thought about Uncharted 2? Or, you know, like, because I, cause I feel like Uncharted 1 did get a lot of recognition for being, like, a fantastic game. It was just like... That was a hard year to try to win awards. <laughs> no, it wasn't even that. It was. It was actually. It 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 got
0: recognition afterwards. I think it took Uncharted Two for people to go back to One really? and realize like, oh, Uncharted One's cool. And there was a, of course, Sony, you know, fanboys, people who own the console that clearly right. like are gonna buy, you know, a Naughty Dog game yeah. or what, you know, like. But it didn't. It 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 um. It was a great story. It's a bit clunky in the mechanics and but I was just happy that we got it out the door. Yeah, yeah. And uh I think that set the framework though. For me, there was one sequence in Uncharted 1 which was kind of going back to the eco concept of like how do core mechanics tie into storytelling? How does core mechanics tie into sort of like this adventure thing we're doing? And and there's a there's a jeep you're Traversing around some waterfalls, and there's a waterfall up ahead that you can't get past. Like the water's flowing, and um, happily, a jeep backs up in front of you, and they start shooting at you. Yeah, and thank God, there's a big red barrel just coincidentally <laughs> in the back of the jeep. They're just driving around with a bunch of gas that they might need, just they in don't case. And do get stranded, around the jungle. For but years. what was cool is like y- you're you're y- you have a problem, and the solution comes up. You shoot this barrel. Uh, The jeep does this awesome flip um, that lands then in the river that you're trying to go up that you couldn't have Uh, So not only do you kill the obstacle in your way But you do it in a spectacular manner and you open up the gate forward Which is now I can traverse where I couldn't have by by jumping on the jeep like climbing up on the jeep exactly and uh, And it was all in game and it was all using your core mechanics and that to me was the aha moment that was like if we can expand on that, um, we'll be doing something that again, at the time in our type of games, the third person world and even some first person games, if you wanted things to blow up in an action game, they had to happen in cutscenes. Yeah. And if you wanted a collapsing building, like it had to happen in a cutscene. Like, yeah. so you never had player investment. And back to like how do I tie core mechanics in and how can we get the player more engaged in the moment? uh it was it was the question of like okay can we create these set pieces so that they're all on the stick all the time and that was like the very first kind of inkling of like there's something here that i haven't played before yeah uh and then the other aha moment was that we had traversal in sections of uncharted 1 and then we had combat and then in traversal to combat and, tri- and then um our animators are amazing and uh, I was talking with Jeremy Yates who was uh, animating Nate at the time and I was asking him like is it possible that while I'm hanging from this rock that I could aim because you couldn't Uncharted 1 right. and he was like oh sure and so or you could in limited degrees and so we expanded that to say like what if I could do it from any state what if I could aim and shoot from any state yeah and what that opened up is the ability to, again, eco as kind of a touchstone is that you, know, you get to a point where you have to leave Yorda to go problem solve, go find a bomb, go like, open up a gate or something to get yeah. back to Yorda to get through. And in the moments that you leave Yorda, um, it turns out it was scripted, but at the time it really felt dynamic that those like, shadow creatures would come and try to yank yeah. her back. Yeah. So there was something about the ebb and flow between like your expectations of "I'm going to move forward, I'm going to get Yorda to the gate. she's going to open the gate, and blah blah blah." And then you know you build up that rhythm, and then as, at some point, the, that rhythm gets thwarted, the expectation opens up, and there's the gap and says, like, "Oh, now you have to protect Yorda." And there's a timer, and even if it didn't happen in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, "How long can I be away from her before like there's fucking shadow things are going to come back." right And um, and that was beautiful. And what that meant for this traversal gunplay overlap is that it allowed us to change the rhythm and the pacing, so we could play with the player's expectations. Right.
1: So. so because you you aren't in a you aren't in a binary state where you're like right. if I'm climbing I'm safe. Right. You're like, somebody could at know, any moment. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then that starts
0: expanding more and more questions like, well, what, do, what if I drop down on an on a enemy that's below me? Because now enemies are in that space, and so now it's, now it's starting to afford more opportunities for the player, and we're seeing where combat and traversal pacing yeah. starts becoming more of a, uh, a formative sort of like tool in our toolbox that, you know, Playing with expectations, like oh, I'm gonna climb, and then in the middle of being completely vulnerable, hanging from two hands, which means that I'm not in cover. You have enemies come out, and you're like, what do I do? Do I? Yeah. They don't see me, so if I start shooting, then like I'm vulnerable, and I'm gonna get nabbed because like I got nowhere to go, and I'm slower when I'm two hand overhand like climbing versus like on a ledge. Yeah. So it really opened up the possibility to create tension and then play with the players' um, expectations, which was. That was those were the two core things, and then the the other thing was uh, coming from Uncharted one and then also my mind was blown at what um, Amy Neil and even Dan early on, and these people did with like the the writing and the character development like to have a willful character he was willful to a different degree than i 'd ever seen a willful character in a third person it, again i 'm coming from a standpoint where' it's like you project yourself into the avatar, you know, even like games like Half-Life 2 are letting you sort of like, Gordon is just this kind of like, you are Gordon. Right. And um, that's this constant dance. We could get into that. It's a whole like podcast in itself probably, (laughs) but um, the merits of cutscenes and control taken away and blah, blah, blah. But so uh, what I, what we found though, is that um, there was this willful protagonist that was really, Interesting. I was really engaged with who Nathan Drake was. Yeah, and I hadn't felt that way I hadn't seen a game with a character written like that Uh, a narrative driven uh, a character with flaws that kind of, you know, w- wears him on his sleeve and sort of he's kind of guy that'll stick his neck out for his friends. He's addicted to adrenaline but once a bit in relationships and he's, a, he's you know, a, a different level of sort of diehard Bruce Willis character meets an Indiana Jones kind of. Yeah. And, um, granted they're all maybe tropes, but in video games, it's like, we hadn't seen that before. Right. And so we all went to, uh, this Robert McKee seminar mm. so that we all, meaning it was Amy, Josh, Joshua, uh, Neil and myself went to a Robert McKee
1: seminar, which is a three day over the weekend event. And, and he's, he, he's big into the whole, like, um, uh, Hero's Journey and three-act structure kind of stuff, right?
0: Very three-act structure. Hero's Journey isn't maybe his thing as okay. much, but okay. it's definitely like for sure he's like the, you know, the landlord of the storytelling sort of world. Like any right. script writers or whatever really have, like Robert McKee is sort of the baseline. Like what is that movie? Adaptation is right. like uh, Charlie Kaufman mocking sort of Robert McKee, yet using all of the Robert McKee tactics in the telling of this. It's a kind of genius meta folding back on yeah, itself, like yeah, yeah. inside joke. He even has a, a lecture that the character goes to. Who? What's the guy's? name? I'm
1: forgetting the guy's name. Uh... Nick Cage. Oh yeah, the actor. Yeah, Nicholas Cage played the the lead. Yeah, is in the
0: writing seminar. Like, and and Robert McKee is telling him what he should be doing in the scene that he's actually writing right then. Right. <laughs> so we went to this seminar, and it was kind of mind blowing because he's talking about story, um, and breaking it down in a way that I'd never heard. I didn't have a mentor in storytelling. Like yeah. we all just kind of pick up things from Star Wars and you right. know Blade Runner and these kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so uh, as, as we're listening to him, you know, speak for like five hours and then you have like a 30 minute break or something and we'd step out together, my mind was just buzzing with like everything he's saying about like the hero. And the obstacles that show up, you have a goal, and that's your, 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 your scene objective. And as you're going to the goal, then you need the gap of expectation and result to open up to create the hero some challenges, which like, makes him go further, or her, to go further and beyond what you thought you were going to have to do to try to accomplish that goal. Right. Hopefully, and each one of these scene objectives is on a spine, which has a greater arc to it, and what the like, MacGuffin is that the hero is after, which is really... Subverting like this, this hiding sort of the core desire, which is they want to change. What's the internal struggle that the hero's going through? Yeah. Like, he's saying all these things? I'm like, oh my god, you <laughs> could you could play this, right, right. And we're having these conversations in the breaks where I'm just like, oh my god, guys, the gap is like when you have to go into a puzzle and it you know, or then it breaks down and you have a collapsing sequence you have to run out of, or like when enemies show up in combat or when ah oh, like, and then we start talking about characters and infusing characters into those moments, and it was. For me, in my career, Uncharted Two was like the highlight of like, um, it was like the culmination of everything that I kind of like. I was frustrated in Jack and Daxter. I saw Eco, and I was inspired by that. Like, um, I, it was it was a struggle to get Uncharted One out, but it was like there was something really beautiful and enlightening about what had get created there. And me being like we talked about earlier of just like, you know, I felt like I was like Naughty Dog was in my blood at this point, And I wanted to make the team proud. And I wanted to do something that I could be proud of. Yeah. And I really saw like we could make something that had never been played before. Yeah. And that, that really, I asked Evan, and it's just like, dude I like we had kind of some issues and you know Amy was stretched thin between story and game direction on Uncharted 1 yeah Then I saw where I could help out and that's where really we started the two director structure at Naughty Dog as I stepped in and said like I can help and so I went from art directing uh, Uncharted 1 to game directing Uncharted 2
1: and so that you you guys on those projects, you saw that as yeah, kind of like a creative direction versus game direction was was is it, I mean, is it sort of like um is, it, is game director sort of like design director? Like it's more of like how the mechanics and the player experience interface with the story and character stuff that's coming from creative direction and kind of like a, a dialogue. Is is that how you define that? Or
0: it's a blurry line. Yes yeah. and no, uh, because hundred uh, percent yes, like uh the game director is the design director, um, but no, in that the way we learn like again, some of the problems with the way Uncharted One came out was simply this separation between church and state like the like the story was created, and amy 's trying to also inspire game direction at the same time and there's a lot of designers in there who are really trying to figure out what the core mechanics are and what they're doing like there's but from the top down there was kind of like a problem with um, y- you could see it manifest inside of the game of like the, like what I'm talking about the string of pearls between combat and traversal combat and traversal It's like there wasn't a fluidity of like how to carry the story into the game more okay. and how the game can fold back into the story more right. and that's where the McKee seminar and the things coming from Uncharted 1 inspired me to say, like, like if story and game are on the same level, and, it, and it's really like, it's we should have been co-directors from the beginning, quite honestly, sure. because it really is about, like, we had to collaborate on a level that was... We worked out the, the the story arc and all the story structure, and we as like it was Josh and Neil as well all the people that went to the story seminar yeah. would ebb and flow in and out of um, you know a, a room that was working out the story and and trying to work out the game but there's a lot of conversation about the core mechanics and a lot of prototypes going on and a lot of like what would be cool if on the stick conversations that would go back into wouldn 't it be awesome if the story allowed for that to happen on the stick so there was A beautiful realization that if you're talking about story at the same time as gameplay, you're going to get a better experience. It sounds obvious, but at the time, in the evolution of where we're coming from, which is, again, even some companies to this day have this, like, you know, the gameplay gets created and then some story people come in after and just kind of write to it. Right. Or vice versa. Somebody just writes a story and says, now make a game. And it's like this separation, just you can tell in the product that it doesn't. It doesn't have the flow and the energy. And again, back to Eco, your mechanics then aren't folding back into what do your mechanics say about the characters? Right. What kind of pressure can we put the player under to allow them to feel what the character is feeling in that moment? For sure. By taking away the ability for Nathan Drake to shoot and take cover because he's sticking his neck out for a friend that he loves, he met up with Elena again halfway through the story. He's been on this adventure with this reckless woman, Chloe. They're neck deep and sort of Lazarevich and Flynn coming after them. And they run into Elena and uh, Jeff, the cameraman, who she brought with him for this expose on Lazarevich, gets hurt. And Chloe's saying, like, Nathan, we got like, to get out of here. We're in Je- our life's in jeopardy. Yeah. Elena, who he's been in a relationship and has Uncharted 1 under his belt, and they were a couple, is like, Nathan, Like, what do, Like Jeff is hurt. And here's a choice that this character makes, again, a willful protagonist, yeah. under pressure, he sticks his neck out, takes Jeff the cameraman's arm around his shoulders, which in gameplay terms means that now you're taking away your ability to climb on things, take cover on things, uh, you can't move fast because you're encumbered by this guy leaning on you, um, and you only have one gun, you have your pistol now. You don't have, so we've been building everything up to that moment, you can take cover, you can climb, you can do all these epic things in Uncharted 2 and all of a sudden you get there and we remove all that and hopefully at that time the thinking was and you know my philosophy has evolved since then but at the time it was like to make the player feel that same sense of frustration, there's a little bit of anxiety that all the things you wished you could do you can't do right. but this is the, pl- the protagonist, your hero has to like something has to be at stake when he makes these hard choices. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're playing out this argument between Chloe saying like, drop, drop the cameraman, let's go. <laughs> and Elena like backing you up and saying like, to the left, Nathan, like watch out over here. And like you're playing out the argument between these two people, which is really playing out the argument internally in Nathan Drake's head. Yeah, yeah what is he really about and what is his adventure about is really being cast out by these two characters, Chloe and Elena. And to make that playable, hopefully in this philosophy is like, now the player is feeling something that they, they wouldn't if they were just like, running along next to Jeff the cameraman who's like wounded or whatever. He's just another AI following along on a path. Right. So trying to think of the way to use, and it's still quote unquote core mechanics in that, like we didn't have to create a whole new setup and a new like vehicle mechanic or one-offs or anything. Right. Our animation system was like allowed for us to make that kind of modification to Nate's moveset really easily. Cool. Um, it was a it was a it was a relatively cheap thing to do, and then add a lot of dialogue of the conversation between the two ladies, and suddenly like you're you're playing out in the core mechanics. The feelings that Nathan Drake is hopefully having to deal with the consequences of these choices he has to make
1: as yeah. a protagonist yeah yeah no I mean that 's really, that's really interesting when you get when you, when you start to see how those things can align you 're like, oh, we have an opportunity to make this part of the player 's experience not just, not just something that I have to take your word for you know what I mean like there 's that aspect of if it 's part of what the player's doing, if they 're in the actual role, if they 're in the shoes of the person who 's experiencing the thing in a way that affects them. It's it's much different from like okay we told you this in the cutscene and the dialogue you're hearing is saying this is what it's like right but you're completely you're your just cover shooting it, yeah. or you're just doing
0: whatever the thing is that you were doing and yeah write, yeah exactly um, that was fun for me yeah. I was very engaged with Uncharted Two because it was all all about like learning about storytelling and learning about like how to couple these character arcs with moments in the game and really the the motto kind of through production was just like keep it on the stick yeah so when you're in a collapsing building like and that whole thing is like the arc of setups and pay up of, of this helicopter arc throughout the city and in this one moment that we're trying to say the helicopter is like more fearsome than you behold the helicopter <laughs> like beware yeah. that. Um, like the whole time you're playing against that helicopter you're hundred percent on the stick with the right. core mechanics and you have the choice to kind of go where you want to go Yeah, and, and
1: like the building is falling over and the floor is becoming the wall and like right. all
0: this and you which,
1: have to jump out which that on your own. whole thing is like some of the some of the stuff when you work in game development, it gives you certainly a different kind of appreciation for some sequences like that, and like I don't know a lot of stuff that um, when I was playing The Last Guardian. Speaking of uh, Ueda's work, there are all these things where it's like getting uh, getting AIs and player controllable characters like fully functioning on like dynamic geometry, right? is just insane like the tech side of yeah. that is just out of control. And so like when you're playing it as a player you're probably like, "Oh wow, cool." I'm like in this big action scene. And when you're playing as a developer, you're like, "The AI understands that this is a walkable surface. Now how are they dynamically <laughs> mantling on that? Yeah. You know." So like you guys really had that full stack of being able to support those kinds of we want the player to be doing this with we have the technical ability and the resources to to enable that cuz like some teams you know you'd be like that sounds nice. <laughs> no, for sure. You know? And that's
0: kind of the legacy of Naughty Dog is we've always hired those kind of people that can do that. And it, it all stemmed from, like, early brainstorms when we're trying to figure out, like, you know, we, we tried to take ideas from the team and we'd get people together and we would kind of say, like, okay, what do you guys want to see in Uncharted 2? Yeah. And in every single one of those on the whiteboard, somewhere on there was, like, train sequence, convoy. Like, there's just certain things that would just, like, always come up. There was also, like, space aliens or knives <laughs> or something like that. You sure. know, like, neck... neck like what is it? chokeouts and thing you're like no, that's not quite Nathan Drake but yeah. but the ones that resonated with kind of the types of trophy you know action adventure world we we're, were making and we were talking about the train sequence and, and it's like wouldn't it be cool if the train was actually moving and you could translate from the war zone in the in uh Nepal sort of our Catman don't up through the Himalayas and then get to a snowy area and to get to the Chloe sequence and um the train wreck what if you could actually translate through that? And, you know, and then what that did is like that, that allowed for this kind of ramping up or scaling of like, again, we've been building up the player's expectations. that Oh, you take cover, you shoot. Now, if you have a train actually like taking a corner, you have to like aim differently, or suddenly the train takes a little dip and then suddenly your radical is thrown off. And so you have to compensate and sort of think about what the train's doing. And I had all the mechanics of my climbing and everything all over the train. Yeah. That what if moment was sort of like, you know, you talk to a couple programmers that are scratching their heads, but they—they're also the beauty of these guys is that they're designers and game players. And when they're yeah. hearing this thing, they're like, "That would be cool." And you're like, "Wouldn't it?" <laughs> you're like, "That would be cool." And you're like, "Wouldn't it?" And then pretty soon they're like, "Okay, I think we can do it." And they, you know, they'd sit there and powwow and like discuss and figure out like. And certainly then. Local space and world space physics became sort of a concept, and and it really became as a game director for me. Like, if we're going to add this tech, then we have to use it. Yeah. So that was the collapsing building. That was the train sequence. That was the convoy. That was the sliding platform down into Shambala. That was the collapsing bridge. Like there was like, so it really became something that like was a piece of tech that you know we wrote into the story. We wrote into sequences. We're thinking about like, and it took until like I don't know. Three months, four months before the game ship, before that stuff really solidified, like yeah. it was, we weren't sure if we were going to make these sequences right. like come online. But <laughs> so, you know, suddenly you take cover, and then your gun is across the world. Like you know, you're dealing with local and global right. space stuff, sure, and global yeah. is like two miles away from where you just left. <laughs> right. and so, um, but yeah, that was uh, that's a. a, 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 a Attributing to the really the programming talent that we have yeah. at Naughty Dog.
1: So was it so I for, for the first season of Tone Control I talked to Neil about the stuff that you guys had worked on together and everything. Yeah. I, I forget. What did you guys go from Uncharted Two to doing first exploration for Last of Us?
0: Uh or,
1: or were you involved more with Uncharted Three as well?
0: No, I, I, I didn't do anything on Uncharted Three. Uh we started the well. We started what would become the Last of Us is just Neil and I w- working on a Jack and Dexter reboot.
1: Right. He 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 told this story about how originally yeah you know, it was Jack and Dexter not Joel and Ellie. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, Interesting which is pretty, transformation. Yeah, which is pretty cool uh, and and funny. And then when you think of it, you're like. She is kind of like an onslaught. Uh, <laughs> she is sassy. <laughs>
0: she does jump on people's backs a lot, except with a knife. Yes. A, yeah.
1: Hey, that, that whoever put that knife <laughs> card up on the Uncharted wall, finally, they finally got their knife. Um, um, yeah. I mean, right. was that another instance? You know, where you felt like it feels like Last of Us was not as much of a departure from. You know, Uncharted as Uncharted was from Jack and Daxter, but I imagine it also was yeah, that's fair. Yeah. a different, a different kind of thing. Where you're moving into, you know, it's not a fun action movie. It's a sort of you know like dark road movie. You know, like yeah. What was there? I don't know. What was there? What was? Did it take you a while to realize that's where you wanted to go tonally, or you know, did it just kind of jump out and you're like? We're 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 getting serious. We're doing this post apocalyptic thing. We're all in on it.
0: It was a sequence of events that um, starting with Jack and Dexter and all the ideas we came up for Jack and Dexter. Uh, we just didn't want to try to make quippy dialogue for an Otzel. We right. just didn't want to resurrect that world. We just didn't. And every all the ideas we were coming up with just felt like. Um, they deserve to have something, a different world like built for them. We yeah. wanted more emotion. We were learning so much from Uncharted 2 and everything that I was just talking about, like investing story and the stick together and yeah. melding those and trying to get to character. Like one of the takeaways he and I would talk about in our own little post-mortem like, dinners and stuff around Uncharted 2 was like, you know, the collapsing building would be more impactful if there was um, something at stake in the character arc. Yeah. Instead of just like a moment, uh, uh, like, again, for a summer blockbuster, it worked great. Yeah. But had uh, somebody been in jeopardy in the collapsing building that I had to retrieve to then get out, or somebody uh, didn't want to go that route, and Nathan forced his will upon them and said, like, this is a better way to go. And so this gets into sort of the root of the, 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 um, the conflict between these two characters. Yeah. And then that culminates in a collapsing building Coupling those kinds of moments, those sequences with emotions and the character arc would be more powerful yeah so that 's one of the takeaways we had, and we were like, okay well, what does that mean and we 're talking about Jack and Daxter and we 're like Otzel and all that like, and I just didn 't see we't neither one of us could see how we could get invested in like this Otzel and have these real emotional feelings for it, yeah. and it wasn 't what we wanted to do. Yeah. We went, there was a showing of, um, before No Country for Old Men came out, um, like, as, uh, in all the theaters, there was a showing of this, this tiny theater in Santa Monica. Mm. And um, I got tickets for that. We went together. And I I remember walking out of the theater, and I, we couldn't talk for, like, the first, like, two minutes. We just, like, stared at each other. And the feeling was just, like... I've never played a video game that felt like that. Yeah, and that was that was literally like the sentence that started this whole conversation about like subtlety, subtext, like sort of like restraint, holding back. Like there was yeah. so much about like, and that really like formulated the tone. That was a high-level sort of tone conversation, and then we were both reading *City of Thieves* at the time, um, and we would we would flip books back and forth and sort of like we we were sharing. Uh, references and City of Thieves is a story about uh, it's a great book if you haven't read it haven't. Benioff who went off to Game of Thrones dude and it's a really really amazing story of uh, World War II this, these two guys have to pair up together for this kind of ridiculous adventure but the bond that happens between these two over the course of that adventure um, under the pressure of World War II and the uh, the Germans kind of being around was this really beautiful epic like this and and again we want to see our characters make interesting choices under pressure and there's nothing better than having sort of like a war saving private ryan these kinds of stories were like appealing to us and then reading that story and then watching planet earth and just coming in and going like this weird zombie ant thing was happening like it's just a culmination of all these things together and neil came in with an idea around this um I don't know. It's like why the last man, meets children of
1: men, and oh right, children of men. Yeah, that's like that seems like a huge, a huge touchstone, touchstone for, for us and for that for that series. Totally. Yeah. And uh, because I was thinking, I was like, I was like, okay, The Road, you know, by Cormac McCarthy, and I'm like, what is that? What's the other thing that is just like super Last of Us? I'm like, all right, yeah, children, children of men. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right. that's yeah. right.
0: And so. Um, yeah, we and, and, and he came up with this idea and and it didn't necessarily work, but he had some nuggets in it that were kind of beautiful in that like he his example to me was like what if we took the Tenzin sequence from Uncharted Two, which was just this one moment of like bonding of two characters in contrast and trying to like formula form a relationship over this sequence. Yeah. It was just like a kind of a hiccup, it was a it was a nice moment, a nice reprieve in Uncharted Two, but then um, what if you did that for the whole game? What if yeah. you took two characters uh, of contrast, and what if we could build a relationship between them over the course of the game, and how yeah. powerful that could be?
1: Well, and I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I had played Uncharted games, but, you know, kind of, as noted, they weren't sort of my starting point as the kind of games that I followed, and I've, I've never been huge into games that yeah. are very, like, cinematic and yeah. stuff. So, like, I played them and I appreciated them, but they didn't, you know, like, grab me in the way that The Last of Us ended up grabbing me, and I think it's because of a lot of what you're talking about with um, the integration of the story and and the gameplay, and letting the player, you know, like be in play mode most of the time. You know, like there are definitely cutscenes in The Last of Us, but I really felt like there were many fewer, and it they were they were they were there to tell you stuff you couldn't have found out any other way. Mm-hmm. And then you know you're in the world, and you're like. Navigating what the story means by being there, and you know, spoilers for The Last of Us that <laughs> came out you know five years ago now. But um, the the I think that a, one really uh, strong example of that maybe like the key example for me um, is Winter, where you know they you guys uh, had you know you're playing Joel the entire game. And then Joel gets injured and then you're playing as Ellie suddenly and I'm like okay I get it I'm gonna do this like deer you know they, they, they made an Ellie that you can run around and shoot a bow that's and you'll chase a deer and then Joel will wake up and you'll be playing Joel again and then it's like oh no she's got a full inventory system and you can use every weapon in the game and you, you like you play as her for hours and I was like wow okay okay like they committed to not just being like there wasn't there wasn't a, a a note card somewhere that said play as ellie and it's like okay we'll do that as a gimmick for 10 minutes it was like you're playing as ellie like we are not just saying here's what ellie is going through in a cutscene. we're not just saying here's this little moment of what if you were in her shoes it was like you're going to understand this character by being this character for you know for for the game that, that that was being made in total, you yeah. know? And that kind of commitment, I think really, really speaks to what you're talking about, you know, where it's like, it's in what I'm doing and, and my my interactive role, as well as what you guys are telling or, or showing. That's right. You're
0: yeah. yeah, paralleling the two things together as best as possible to get the strongest emotion, yeah. for sure. Like, I look at like, s- story is a uh, is sort of like, um, I don't know, like like, Core mechanics, the game mechanics are, are like how you get the player engaged and the, the story is how you keep them intrigued, you yeah. know, it's like those and, and you have to bounce back and forth and you have to couple those two, but yeah. Playable Ellie was like, a, a, just like in Uncharted 2, from really the onset, we said, are we going to do local space physics? And and we said yes, so we went for that, and then we definitely exploited that as best we could in key moments throughout Uncharted 2. We learned from that and said, like, Ellie, playable Ellie is going to be a a huge impactful moment. Like, this psychological flip from Joel to Ellie's perspective uh, was integral in building empathy and understanding and sort of feeling. Yeah. Like the first time that David had like the whole game, I've been hitting triangle and boosting Ellie and boosting Ellie and boosting Tess and boosting Ellie and boosting Tess. And I'm Joel and somebody else is either dropping something or lifting, putting their hand down and lifting me up or whatever that thing is. And I'm Joel. And then that first time that I find a, a place that I have to boost up and I'm not the power figure that David, this stranger who i it's, that's, that whole arc—is trying to like build up some sense of uh, trust with this guy in a world of like untrusting people. Right. Um,
1: Building up trust so that he can end up betraying it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and he he boosts me, and I remember that first feeling. It, it felt like success of just like. Holy shit! Like I feel differently. Suddenly, I am this smaller person. I'm relying on this bigger person,
1: right. and I feel more vulnerable. I feel like, and uh, something else that I loved about playing as Ellie was it made my playstyle different. Mm. Like when you get the full inventory after the the you know bow hunting sequence, and you start encountering enemies and stuff. So my my playstyle in The Last of Us was, um, generally speaking, I was I. Right. When, when you choke guys out it counts as a kill right like by the numbers but it, it seemed more like it was like a knockout thing like you know because uh, it was I, blurry we didn't necessarily it, yeah but it, yeah, I, mean, I, I we looked it was, at it as a kill because it went there, on your kill count they're, in,
0: they're, they're, they're incapacitated in the way that you have to worry up. yeah right
1: exactly. which you know I, in a stealth game I like that um, but you know like I, for, for whatever reason maybe it's because of stuff like this like you know in games you like choke somebody out and it takes like five seconds or something, 10 seconds. And I'm like, is that even realistic, you know? And and so I think I looked it up at some point. And when you knock someone out like that, it's because you're putting pressure on their carotid artery and cutting off blood to their brain, not because you're like suffocating them. So it actually does make sense that because it only takes a few seconds of like, that being cut off for someone to pass out. So I'm like, okay, I can be choking people out and just like knocking them out and leaving them there. So throughout the game I was playing very stealthy. Right. And I would take, you know, when there were like five guys patrolling around I'd kind of pick them off one by one and, and they would all be asleep and then we would move on with our lives. Right. Um, and then when I played as Ellie, she killed everyone. Right, because she used the chip, her knife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah she, has, she has a... a, a, a switchblade. Yeah, a, 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 yeah a, an infinite use knife. Mm. And also, She's not taking any chance, like, she's a small yeah, yeah. person, so, like, having the strength to, like, reliably, you know, like, knock someone out mm. is its own thing, and then, like, she's she doesn't give a fuck, like, Ellie is, like, you're all dead, <laughs> and so when I it was so satisfying mm. to be playing as that character and be like, nope, I'm not Joel anymore, none of these guys are walking away, she's got her knife, and, she, and she's, like, I had this incredibly, and, and I think that you guys really fed that back in a way that was really powerful, because... She had this disdain towards the enemies mm-hmm. in her voice lines yeah. when you would get into combat and clear combat that Joel also didn't have, which totally reinforced how I was playing. I remember there's this one sequence where there's like a rest stop. And there's like a you know, two bathrooms, and there's guys patrolling around on some stairs, you know, steps that are like around this rest stop. And I like snuck around and I killed the one guy, and then his friend saw me and he was up some stairs. And so I so I just like I was like, oh shit, there's that guy. And I had the shotgun. So I tagged him with the shotgun, but from like you know, 12 feet away. So he got staggered. And I just sprinted up the stairs and just like gut stabbed him super hard. And he goes down. And then Ellie just goes, fuck you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, she knew. She knew how I was playing. Um, and you know, those are the kinds of things that you guys put in that's reacting to the player and reinforcing who the character is yeah. and, and what your role is. Um, where that you know that that the the way that those things are unified uh, is huge.
0: Yeah, it was it was fun to try to find those. Uh, just a real quick comment about the chokeouts is it, when you're Joel is that um, that we had way longer chokeouts, and we had different. You had button mash chokeouts and like different things where you had to struggle and counter struggle with them. We had all sorts of things, and the the concept was rooted in the sense of like. If you want to choke somebody out, it takes effort. You can't just like like a standard video game. So everything had a sense of weight to it, yeah. And you had to feel sort of this sense of like, oh my god, I'm taking this guy's life. I'm am t- definitely sure. like taking him off the board. And then um, th- the balance was trying to find it in that. Uh, The chokeout has to be long enough that it felt like there was a choice before you went in to choke him out because you knew you were going to be exposed and vulnerable for like five seconds, and that was like a big thing. That finding it from like ten seconds to three seconds to five, you know, and just finding that balance was important. And um, with Ellie, we did these things which were really fun. Uh, Again, it's taking the concepts of like on the stick and like systems, like how do we take systems and how we make systems evolve more into character development. Yeah. So Ellie mean like when she's playing with Joel, when you're controlling Joel, has these knobs like over the course of her character arc, she could always like from the get-go like stab people, throw the brick, do all these awesome things because Tess had to be able to do that. So we leveraged that same AI code um, because Tess is capable, but Ellie's the first time out in the world. She's never had to live in that sort of survivalist uh, world. She's new to it. Sure, she's seen people die, but her badge of honor is sort of saying like, ah you know i've seen people die before like uh and really she hasn't like the first time you see her fire the gun is when she saves joel in pittsburgh and so then you're seeing her grow and evolve and what we're doing is we're flipping the switches we're changing the knobs of like frequency and like checking we're doing all these checks behind the scenes to see like when is Ellie going to throw the brick and how frequent and we're going to up the percentage chance more based on like where she is in her character arc yeah so we're we're building in with the dialogue and as we know where the story is going we're also building in capabilities within the AI to make her feel like she's more capable and then of course when you become playable Ellie the whole concept is like now she's kind of a war-torn sort of you know she's 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 a survivalist and what she's capable of doing now is like take a guy out because it's either them or her right yeah and that feeling that you get hopefully should be like i want to just get this guy like done and that's definitely the thing that ellie feels is like like i don't want to be wrestling with this person because yeah. The AI is not such that when they're aware of you, they always get the first hit and they always get the upper hand. They can choke her out, etc. And then again, consequences happen, more enemies show up, blah blah blah. There's a chain of events that happen in the AI and the combat. Yeah. But if I can stealth around and I get them single-handedly and I got my my switchblade, then it's of course player advantage and that's the way you, and you want to get rid of them as quick right. as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean that's all very conscious, and I think that that was the beauty of how the evolution from really uncharted one to to the last of us happened, as well as like when I talk about like the collapsing building and set pieces, that was also about like you know moving the camera in, etc. All these things yeah. we tried to get more intimate with Joel. But then when you have like the Joel injured injured sequence, you know those are all core mechanics. It's just when you hit the sprint button, just like in Eco, you try to like pull Yorda across the bridge, but because she's injured she collapses. Yeah. So now I have to remember under tension, I'm like just like softly, like half sticking her yeah. across the bridge. Well, now when I hit sprint button with Joel, which I've done the whole game, he, he tries to sprint, but he collapses because he's like got this gut wound. Yeah. So there's like, how do we evolve the mechanics based on the context of the situation? And then you're hearing Ellie like frustrated and angry, like, just like, get the fuck up, Joel. Like, She's worried, yeah, you know, at that point, yeah. and I'm worried as a player, like what's happening to joel and And this is all again like it's it's not a cutscene, it is just kind of a modulation of the core mechanics slightly, just yeah. to hopefully make the player feel more attuned to the frustration of the moment, yeah, more of the emotions of the moment, yeah,
1: and then were you involved with the uh, left behind d l c
0: yeah,
1: okay, yeah. Because that was, I mean, also a really interesting um, further exploration of some of the the themes in the game, but also what you could do with the mechanics of the game. You know, like for me, I was really impressed with, uh, you know, how. Uh, you guys adapted the the brick-throwing mechanic into, like, a game between the girls of, uh-huh. like, who could break the most car windows, you yeah. know, and like, all those things where yeah. you're like, okay, we're gonna express this relationship between these characters through mechanics we have, but through recontextualization, primarily, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt like those sequences that were, you know, non-combat, that were, like, the flashback, mm-hmm. like, you're not in danger. The reason that mechanics exist in this sequence is to talk about these characters, um, was a really cool thing to see, you know, on that scale, like, you know, on like a kind of triple A, you know, naughty dog scale of, of a production. Mm. Um, and as something that, you know, clearly grew out of and kind of spoke to things that were in the last of us, but you know, you change that it's not Joel and Ellie or Ellie and a bunch of guys trying to kill her, but mm-hmm. it's like Ellie and your friend, What do they do when they're in this world and when you're in, you know, that part of of her life, you know?
0: What's interesting when you think about, and you're you're a game developer, and and I know talking to other game developers, you probably hear it over and over again, which is just like playing with the tools, understanding what your tech is, understanding what your limitations are, and as much as it might look from the outside like, Naughty Dog can do anything, (laughs) it's like, it's still rooted in the concept that if you're trying to use systems to advanced story then you end up with things like uh, well we just have to have a lead follow behavior with our AI just we just have to that's just a core component of the behavior system if you're going to have them navigate so but then understanding how that works and, and coding scripted moments with them etc and then folding that back into conversations about story and saying like well what if what if Ellie's been following you the whole time and I'm just out of my ass right now but it's like and you get in an argument with Ellie and she gets upset with you. And then all of a sudden you just switch from a follow behavior to a lead behavior. Yeah. And just that one little thing coupled with a story moment where it feels impactful suddenly shifts the player. But all you're doing is literally switching a knob and saying like, now you lead. And you give them way, way and goals ahead, which is already part of the system. So right. for me... That's the beauty of game design. Is like that's always like the fun is the craftiness of trying to work in the limitations and understanding the systems and saying like how much more can we get out of this? Granted, Naughty Dog might have more systems and more capability than a ton of people in the industry for sure. I I don't doubt that. But it's still the joy comes in like working in the limitations and saying like how 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 can we squeeze the blood from the turn? How do we get more out of this lead lead follow? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I've kept you for a long time. We haven't even talked about Uncharted 4. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, I I, I don't want to keep you here forever, forever. Yeah, um, cool. No, I understand. I, I mean, I'm so, tired of talking about me, too. So. <laughs> I'm sure people are <laughs> no, talking, it's interesting, tired of listening. It's interesting stuff. It's just I know that we both have other stuff to do today. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, you, 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 you worked on on Uncharted four as well, and like that role of, of <laughs> doing like the the game director, co director, yeah, 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 yeah. um, uh, role, and I'm sure that that was, I'm sure that, the, I imagine that going back to Uncharted after working on Last of Us made you think about Uncharted differently than you, than than you know you did before you had had kind of gone through there. I mean. Did you feel like you approached or had to approach Uncharted 4 a lot differently than you, know, you might have if, if you weren't kind of using Last of Us as a reference point? Uh, yeah, for sure. The unfortunate thing was that we
0: had two years to make that game. Yeah. You know, when Neil and I came on, um, it was two years almost to the day in which we, we got it out the door. And but it had been in
1: development. Like some form. Of so there was a lot
0: of product. prototypes. There was yeah. things like like there was a there was a lot of ideas, but there was no gelling of them. There was no structure. There was no. Um, that's crazy what you guys can knock out in two years. That's a lot of content, my friend. Unfortunately, <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's wise. I don't think it was healthy for us. And I, I but yeah, that's just the nature of production. It's, sometimes yeah. it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's, it's a, a money. It's problem. an impressive thing. <laughs> like it's it's, a, it's, it's 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 nuts. It's as simple as like if we went another what. That game deserved was another like three, three and a half years or something. That <laughs> your budget ends up going so out of control that how do you expect it In you as a yeah, you you own your your part of your studio, etc. Yeah. Like you need so, to yeah. keep solvent, you yeah. know. And <laughs> we do too, and, yeah, for sure. And or they do.
1: Yeah, you got to keep Sony happy, yeah.
0: And so the issue is uh, get it out the door. There was a lot of ideas that we had coming from the last of us that again. I mean, I'll I'll just speak for myself that um, we simply couldn't put in to Uncharted. Not because of the type of game it was; it was really a schedule issue because we didn't have an opportunity to play and prototype and figure out, like, how does this apply to Nathan Drake? It was cool to go back to Nathan Drake, it was cool to go back to that world, it was nice to have a jump button again. (laughs) Uh, There was some cool exploration of mechanics that designers who had been on the project before I came around had already done that was inspiring. and there was a ton of stuff there that was really nice,
1: and... Well, I felt like there was some stuff that came over from Left Behind as well, like some of the sequences, yeah. like the flashback sequences yeah. with the brothers when yeah, they're the younger. Young brothers, yeah. They're explaining the mansion and all that kind of stuff yeah. where it's sort of like, yeah, how do we, how do, we do this when it's not a combat threat, you know, like yeah. and that that really got explored in some sequences that I thought was cool. Like Yeah, it
0: was just that sense and I think you I you you probably understand this as well. Like if you look at the evolution from Uncharted to to the last of us, there is another evolution that would happen after that. There yeah. is getting even more systems, there is getting more invested in stories and building characters within like choices within mechanics. Yeah. There is more of that to be explored yet uncharted you know when you're a globetrotter and you have to go from like an italian villa to a madagascar open plains trying to get some sort of like arc of the 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 macro your gameplay macro so there's this you know a a ramping and an evolution of sort of your climbing mechanics and we wanted to make it more uh uh, deeper sort of mechanics. Yeah. There was all these prototypes about slipping and, and the type of hand over hand versus dino jumping like the when you, you spam X. And right. There's all these things but then when you try to apply it to these different worlds and then you had like hours where you're in a Jeep it's like it just didn't Ramp because every time you got out of the Jeep and had to climb again, you're like, oh, right, what was the language for hand over hand climbing versus this other? Well, I mean, so, there's a
1: lot in Uncharted, so like making any aspect of it, especially complex, has its own uh, it could, to but that
0: would be the goal, right? Yeah. As, as any of us as developers, we want to say, like, well, how do we make this as investing as possible, right, On right. the mechanic side, a couple of stories, but you do
1: have, but like you're saying, you know, if you're making the rock climbing game then sure. that's one thing. But sure. if you're like... I haven't climbed a rock for like three hours. How do I not fall off of this fucker? I right. don't remember. Like right. it's, it's a very different thing depending on what you want the, the Uncharted player experience. You to do.
0: nailed the Uncharted experience right there, which is like, if you're going to have a combat sequence, then your climbing can't be this robust thing because in the middle of combat, if you're back to Uncharted 2, if you're doing traversal gunplay, which is about hanging from any ledge, anywhere, anytime, and getting into combat, if now I also have to like bounce my thinking back to like well what kind of handhold am i on right now right yeah then suddenly it splits the player's attention and now i can't just focus on what i need to which is survival and so those those types of issues came up and uh i mean i'm really proud of the game i'm proud of like getting the game out the door i'm proud (laughs) of what like we pinned on some really good emotional moments and i think that Things like the running the Jeep through the city to get down to Sam and then getting that to Sam, like was that epic set piece to get to the Elena Lie and sort yeah. of the juxtaposition between those kinds of moments, I think uh, I think are kinda of like highlight uncharted moments as yeah. far as the franchise, the I feeling. The, the
1: the 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 public you know, the, the critical reaction, the public reaction that I saw was, you know, a lot of people were like, This is the best uncharted's ever been. So I mean even if you did it under duress you guys did all right. Yeah, <laughs> nice work. <laughs> and that's that's really a lot for the team and like the the, the talent
0: at that studio. Oh yeah. Like that's oh, yeah. For sure. Like and uh, people really worked really hard to like and they. I just wanted to make them proud, quite honestly. It was really about getting something out that we could feel like, okay, this could put the Naughty Dog name on, and these people can walk away and go, like, cool, I'm tired, but that game was awesome. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, that was what that was about. So, speaking of which, uh, what, six months ago or something, uh, you you officially uh, departed Naughty Dog off on a new adventure,
0: (laughs) right? Um,
1: So, like, can, can you talk at all about what that means for you, or are you still just sort of, like... Feeling stuff out is it, is it? I mean, I hope you're getting some some downtime. But you know, I think that probably uh, it'll be interesting to see what you know next is for for Bruce Bailey. I'm interested too. <laughs>
0: I'm, it's been really fun. It's been it's been super interesting to just watch my sort of all of my blood cells had this momentum coming off of Uncharted Four, and it's taken months just yeah. to get down to sort of like a base level of just like you know, how to exist and be, like, h- how to eat breakfast, like, a real meal in the day. <laughs> and when to get exercise and go outside. And right. Like, like, just getting a life back together has been really fascinating. And even my brain, I'm, like, trying to solve problems. And I would create problems for myself because the nature of our job yeah. in getting these games out is just, like, I got to figure out the art direction. I got to figure out the game design. I got to figure out the, how does it couple a story? How does it, like, how am I going to solve this one fucking cover problem with the animation and the blah, blah, blah? Wow, like, yeah and that momentum is just like in me and i got to say also i like that that's yeah. why i've made games for so long and it's taken like it took 8 months just to calm down yeah and and now it's about like i'm keeping myself busy on a lot of things but nothing at the same time like there's some game ideas that i'm 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 i get together with a couple buddies and we brainstorm we have a good time you know and there's like ideas are easy you know like ideas come like a million miles a second it's fun to explore them and and i'm really using sort of my gut as like if something sticks with me and i wake up the next morning i'm like it's still with me then i'm like all right Right. let's keep exploring that see how far it goes yeah
1: yeah if an idea sticks around if you keep coming back to it it means something for sure
0: yeah and i've been writing down some design ideas that i've learned over the years and who knows what that's gonna do and i'm working with a buddy on like a I'm keeping my chops with the storytelling and we're making it sort of an animated feature, but oh, cool! we're not making anything. We're just writing a story. Right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it's like, yeah. but he's a concept artist and, and he does these amazing, this is amazing work. And, and so having images to couple moments that we're creating for this story and trying to take everything I've learned from Uncharted 2 on in storytelling and say like, okay, well, how do we make this new character, a new world, a new story, et cetera? Yeah. And that's been fun. I'm trying to do some outreach stuff with like how do we take our knowledge of like you know 26 years of the in the industry and say like I didn't even know this was a job yeah. when I started. Right. And there's a ton of kids who play games and are at-risk youth or you know, under service communities and like they play games all the time and they need somebody like us to come in and go, like, hey guys, like there's a path for you. Yeah, there's an opportunity. Yeah. And so it starts with just conversations around like game design and getting them involved and sort of that and then trying to sort of inspire them to um, understand rather that there's something possible here. And then this scales to something bigger, but I don't know what or how, but whether it be mentoring or sort of coupling it with like other nonprofits etc
1: that maybe help them get that's, scholarships that's or something Really? Cool, yeah. are, you, are you are you doing are you doing that work now? Have you actually been working with like
0: So right now I'm in I'm in like this is so LA of me but yeah. I'm in like Coffee lunch kind of conversation mode. I'm, it's again. I've been at Naughty Dog doing this one thing for so long. So much of this is about like talking to people that have a different perspective on reality. Yeah, and yeah. these people have been doing nonprofit work and working. They already have connections with like the LAUSD or sort of like um, YMCA's, etc. And these you know facilities. And how did they go about doing it? And I'm trying to understand like what my first steps are into that. Yeah. So I'm just getting to the point to sorting writing documents and kind of writing kind of pitches in a way yeah. of how to get into schools. I'm sure,
1: yeah, I'm sure you could do a lot even yeah with just going speaking to like public high schoolers. That's yeah, right. Just like public school, That's the first step. Around. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly I mean, right. You know, if there's if there's kids that are like, I do love this stuff. I didn't even know, you know, that they made Uncharted here. I didn't even know that that's was right. a Thing, you know. Right yeah you know, so so that's really awesome that seems like a, a great a great way to put some of your time and energy and experience back into the the community
0: thanks man i mean i'm I'm a lucky dude that's as simple as it gets yeah. i've I've had a very blessed career yeah. I, I mean we all work hard for what we do, but at the same time it's right place right time. I've worked with amazing people, yeah. and it's only because of that that I've even gotten the opportunities that i've gotten so yeah. you know it's time to give it back yeah
1: for sure well, and now you get to play naughty dog games as a player. Oh as man, a, I don't know. You know. I don't know if I can do it. Really? There's so it's,
0: it's I, I can do it and I'm gonna I'm gonna I played Lost Legacy and it was so fascinating to see sort of there's so much of my DNA in that right, and yet to still be removed is like somebody took my baby and raised
1: it. You know, and it's like,
0: and I'm not sure. It's a fine baby. It's a good looking baby. It's it's well educated, but it's just like it's not my baby. Like, right. how does this work? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. It is gonna to be play, like, super fascinating. The Last fascinating. of Us Part Two. Absolutely. Stuff, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. Like, that's, I, that's gotta be actually a kind of cool thing to look forward to, even if it's absolutely. strange as
0: well. <laughs> I was really happy about Lost Legacy. I was happy to see it's kind of like you know that thing about like you know, your kid goes off to college or something and you're just like, oh, they're making smart decisions. They're, they're, you know, baby all grows up. You know, yeah. kinda like, that's pretty awesome that they got that game out. It's such quality and... Yeah. and I liked it a lot. Yeah,
1: I played through it, yeah.
0: And I'm looking forward to uh, The Last of Us 2. I can't wait to see, like... You know, I know just enough to sort of, like, go, like, oh, it's super fucking... I can't wait. Awesome. And then I don't know enough because I've not been there, you know, through production that I can go, like... I don't know what they're going to yeah. do, so I'm intrigued to see how don't, they're going to do not let be, anybody
1: give you spoilers. Yeah. No, I don't, actually. That's, that's good. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending a bunch of your, your day talking to me about all this stuff. It's been great talking to you, Bruce.
0: Yeah, Steve, dude, I really appreciate... Like, seriously, this is super cool. I respect you and what you do and your whole team up there. So
1: it's cool that we get to chat like this. Thanks so much. Come up to Portland and visit. Yeah, Got let's some do it. Free time. Come say yeah. hi. All right. Cheers, I see.